You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We were going to talk here about female power in light of the new Supergirl TV show. Yeah. Where all the most powerful people there are all women. Of course, we have Supergirl. We have her boss at work, Cat Grant, who's this queen of all media, she calls herself. And then we've got her foster sister, who's a spy and a doctor. All powerful, powerful women. We should have more women on this show, Chris. We're working on it. I met Phyllis Budinger while at the uh, Skyfire Summit. She's someone that I've been wanting to meet for decades. She's one of the few scientists willing to get involved in the paranormal. And she's a female, which uh, I think... If she's a she, she's a female. Yeah, she's she's female. <laughs> okay, well, let's get her on the show then. Okay. Yeah, I've got her number. Also, uh, Nancy Detetre, we're having on, who had to talk to an alien. She's got a PhD from, I think, a Ivy League school. She'll be interviewed in the middle of December. Correct. We have her all set. And, uh, of course, we had Marie Jones on fairly recently. And uh, we're talking about having Kathleen Mar- Martin back to... Uh, further examine the state of uh, the abduction field. I think she's a good middle-of-the-road person for that. I think we need responsibility because we've had so many extremes here that if we don't bring it back to the center, we're never going to resolve anything there. And we also have Susan Gordon, who was uh, a longtime Tucson resident, was involved, I think, with APRO uh, in the 80s, uh, was very close with Jim Delatosa, and uh, Wendell Stevens is an experiencer. Uh, she was married for a long time to Peter Gersten, who was one of the main movers and shakers in the 70s and 80s behind Cause with Larry Bryant. And she's a horse whisperer now. It'd be very interesting to uh, to get her on the show. She's met a lot of people over the years and has a lot of inside uh, cool insider stories. Well, we can check off the boxes here. Female, black. Asian, Muslim, Buddhist, E.T. I don't know if we can get the E.T., though. Is that really on the census? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'd have to check that box. Well, this would basically fit in the proper degree of, shall we say, diversity. Yeah. You know, we get some pretty wacky letters here at the PowerCast. Oh, boy. And you know which one oh, I'm boy. going to mention. Yeah, I've had my run-ins with this Yahoo before. Okay, he says you are a UFO ET debunker, a CIA asset. And he was about to say something else about that. So I want to know here. No, 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 go ahead. Continue reading. Continue. He knows he can prove that I am an intelligence operative. And uh, what else did he say? He's going to out me. Something like that, yeah. If I'm a CIA asset, then why the heck am I driving a 10-year-old car and I'm, I'm not on the payroll? I mean... What happened is the Republican Party saw the bill for CIA and it said Chris O'Brien on it. <laughs> line item veto. They gave you a line item veto. And look at this here. He oh, says also, let, wait, wait, wait. And if I ever manage to accumulate sufficient hardcore evidence to prove your, meaning me, zeo Nazi Mossad CIA connection, he may publish it all anyway. 
Uh, very interesting. Uh, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, I've been accused of that before. It, it comes with the territory. Whenever you don't, you know, spout the true believer line, of course, someone named light dancing, that kind of gives away some of the uh, potential emotional issues that may be there. Um, when you take more of a rational sort of, you know, healthily skeptical stand in this field, it invariably will end up with somebody out there saying, oh, he's just a disinformation agent. He's just a, he's a, he's a spook. He's this, he's that. Greg Bishop has been called that. Nick Redfern, Nick Pope, uh, some <laughs> more possibly warranted than others. Uh, in my case, I've never worked for the government knowingly. Um, I have no plans to work for the government. I've never um, have been asked by them to su supply data to them. My, my data is open to anybody that wants to look at it. It always has been. I'm, I live as transparently as I can, especially in this morass of ufology. I, you know, It's a full-time job just keeping out of everyone's way only opening your mouth when it's appropriate, although I still struggle with that <laughs> at times. But but just to reassure our audience, uh, I would like to believe, and I rarely use that word as most of you know, but I would like to believe that I am part of the solution, not part of the problem. And uh, I don't think right now our government or anything having to do with UFOs and our government is part of any solution until the playing field gets and the pieces on the playing field get reset a little bit. That's why um, our last show with Mark Rodiger and, and Leslie Kane, uh, I think is important because it shows a grassroots uh, effort to come up with data. Uh, I'm still a little concerned about the transparency of that data, but it, it, in theory, this whole, this whole thing, this UFO data thing looks like a, a good step in the right direction. And, I'm going to be speaking further with Mark about uh, some possible affiliations with the San Luis Valley Camera Project. So this is all this is all good, positive news, and it has nothing to do with, at least to my knowledge, to uh, any sort of government or intelligence agency type stuff. Uh, as none of my work has for twenty plus years. By the way, just as you were saying that, I got an email from one of our listeners volunteering to help with the camera project. And he says he lives two hours from the valley. So you'll be getting that email when you check it in a few moments. But it's promising. We're getting these contacts from people. They're really psyched about this, about the possibility, finally, of getting real evidence of what the UFOs are. Right. And I did also hear from Mark Rodiger just the other day. He said he'll be getting in touch with you shortly. Right. So, and, and Mark D'Antonio, who we had on fairly recently, is going to be speaking this weekend down at Phoenix MUFON, and I'm going to try to carve out some time to go down there and re-solidify you know, our conversations that we had uh, some months ago before his uh, illness. So, yeah, it's, there's a lot of uh, forward motion. Another thing to uh, kind of whet everybody's appetite, hopefully by the time this show airs, uh, we will have our first video up on the video channel which will be just sort of a panorama and, and an overview of our recent trip to the confluence of the Grand Canyon uh, with the drone pilot. And <laughs> I'm having, it's taken me two days to down convert 
the files from 4,000 lines of resolution to a manageable 1080i. <laughs> it's so. going to look good. We're going to test how best to present it online. This is going to be strictly for people who are members of PowerCast Plus. Correct. Let me tell you about that. We recently had a small price increase, but it starts now at $6 a month. And I checked, and I think Mysterious Universe is charging $9 a month, so we're pretty cheap. In fact, like Mad Magazine, our price, cheap. That kind of thing. Go to plus.thepowercast.com, plus.thepowercast.com. Check out our package, which includes the ad-free version of this show. After the Powercast, we've got a couple of show transcripts on there, complete show transcripts of two of our most popular episodes, and we'll be getting more. A lot to come. Plus.thepowercast.com, free ebooks for long-term memberships, and the video that Chris is mentioning. Now, today we've got Another great episode, solid UFO research. One of the co-authors of Return to Magonia, Chris Aubeck, is back. The subtitle, Investigating UFOs in History. And this is a fascinating book. Not a huge book, but one with lots and lots of documentation where they're doing solid UFO research. And we're going to explain kind of where it's going when we start our interview with Chris, he was on the show before where he did a book that he co-authored with Jacques Vallée, and now he's just keeping at it. So this is really, really good, and it's going to be one of our best episodes yet. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Talk to a sales rep at iWeb.com. Use the promo code TECHNIGHTOWL for a special discount. First game attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you. People seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com. And if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more. And this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com. ParanormalDate.com and use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. 
I want to be able to smoke inside, cut down on cigarettes, jog without wheezing, be kissable, and save money. Then you want the SIG e-cigarettes. Get the highest quality, best tasting vaping experience on the market with unmatched customer service from the SIG. And right now, gobble up this deal. Buy $30 worth of any products and get a starter kit for only $5. Use code SK at checkout. But hurry, offer good only until Thanksgiving at lesig.com. L-E-C-I-G.com. Kick some ash with Lesig. Attention all men. Are you urinating more frequently? Do you wake up to urinate? Are you having a slower, weaker stream? Don't ignore the warning signs of your aging prostate. Get your free bottle of Super Beta Prostate. Super Beta Prostate is guaranteed to support a more complete emptying of your bladder, a fuller, stronger stream, and less waking at night to urinate. Super Beta Prostate is a product that I really like. I endorse it. I use it myself. I was very pleasantly surprised that Super Beta Prostate helped me fairly quickly. Super Beta Prostate is formulated with a natural plant enzyme called beta-cytosterol. It's so powerful, you'd have to take 100 salt palmetto pills to get the same sterols as just one Super Beta Prostate tablet. Don't ignore the warning signs of your aging prostate. Call now to get your free bottle of Super Beta Prostate. Call 1-800-853-1203. That's 1-800-853-1203. 800-853-1203. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to produce an endless supply of nano-sized silver solutions right from the convenience of your home. Silver Lungs. With the addition of our unique lung delivery system, respiratory infections are targeted directly, where traditional oral administration simply cannot reach. This pioneering method also preserves the original particle sizes and delivers your silver solution directly into the bloodstream. See the Silver Lungs generator and lung delivery system at silverlungs.com. That's silverlungs.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. We're joined on this episode of the Paracast by Chris Aubeck, co-author of Return to Magonia, Investigating UFOs. In history, and just before we started the episode, we were experimenting on the best way for Chris to talk to us on Skype. He's currently using an iPad, and it comes across pretty solid, pretty good audio. In fact, better audio than his MacBook Air. And Chris and I were wondering here as we attempted to communicate with Chris Aubeck, what would happen if we just did a show where we turned off the speaker so we couldn't hear anybody else? And we just answered, responded the way we felt. Of course, we'd overlap each other, but it would be like free-form conversation. Three people speaking at random what came into their minds. And I don't know, I guess we'd end up like the U.S. Congress because they keep talking at each other and nobody communicates. Political glossolalia. Sounds good to me. I can do that. Okay. No, that sounds good. That sounds good. I wanted to read something from the introduction to Return to Magonia, written by Jacques Vallée. And he's mentioning here Dr. J. Allen Hynek. And this is interesting here. He was talking about Hynek's early involvement in UFOs, where he, of course, was recruited by the Air Force to screen and investigate the reports. And I'm quoting here from Vallée's introduction. And this kind of forms a basis of where we're going with this subject, and then we'll explore all the case histories 
that Chris Aubeck has worked on and maybe recite a few of them here. So here's what Jacques says about Dr. Hynek. What he discovered convinced him that much valuable material existed in those apparently unscientific stories. He also recognized that the most popular theories, such as the hypothesis that we were visited by extraterrestrials, were too simplistic and superficial to account for the complexity of the sightings that resisted natural explanation. Now, Chris Aubeck, do you agree with us here that maybe the biggest problem in doing UFO research is we're looking for simple answers that can be described in a one-sentence soundbite? Yeah, I'd say so. I think one of the problems is that when I speak to people or when they write to me, uh, they often say, uh, hi, I'm a UFO researcher. And I say, hello. And I say, well, how long have you been researching UFOs? And they say, well, since I was eight. And I say, oh, okay, that's, that's great. That's a long time. And they normally tell me that their only real experience with research is reading other UFO books, also written by people who've been researching since the age of eight or nine. And the problem with this is that what we really need are researchers who go either into the field and start looking for actual answers or at least interview witnesses, or people like me, probably, who are willing to spend a long time in libraries searching for, for answers in historical books and newspapers and so on. Because it's such a complex question. Uh, ufology embraces so many different fields. Uh, you have to know something about linguistics and physics, meteorology, history, sociology, how folklore works, and so on. It's just such um, an interesting and, and complex machine that, yeah, it's, it's impossible to search for simplistic answers. Why do you think so many people believe UFOs just to be spaceships? They don't look at the history. They don't look at all the complexities. They don't look at the exceptions. Is it because it's too complex or because people are so busy just trying to survive, they don't have the time? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. It's a lot easier to to be fed information about UFOs than to research them yourself from scratch. I mean, to, to research a UFO case from scratch, you either have to approach a witness or, as I said, to go to a library and get very deep into some very old and brittle documents, possibly from 50 years ago or from before that. People don't really have time to do this kind of thing, to do this kind of work. So they wait until somebody gives them the information on a plate, on a tray. This is where the problem begins, because if there's not much um, active researching going on, and when I, when I say research, I mean uh, from zero, from, from the most basic facts, from one person's uh, written testimony, for example, then we are influenced by the biases of the researchers who give us that information um, already developed into a thesis or an article or a book. Because there's a lot of pressures in this field to, to become a published writer, to, to make some amount of money, even if it's a tiny amount, but at least to, to do something that makes it seem worthwhile. In the end, uh, ufology is, is delivered as a package of uh, like, like a product. And that product will have a label on it, like aliens or ghosts or poltergeists or something like that, which 
I don't know. It, it finally means that people are very much influenced by, by the way the UFOs are packaged. And I think that um, what we have to do is to get back to the roots of research, get back to how we should approach such a complex scientific issue. I sometimes say we should just throw ufology out the window and start again. I think that you could throw a lot of ufologists out of the window. I don't know about ufology itself. I can give you a list. Of course, some people want to throw me out, but that's another story. Yeah, well, that's not out the window, Jim, because you won't live on a second floor. So it's out with the trash or out somehow, I don't know, out with the dog. <laughs> well, you know, I don't mind living on the second floor, but my wife is still recovering from the knee surgery. That's it. Right. Well, Otherwise, thing, it doesn't matter. I, I'd like to add to what Chris said was that <laughs> this might sound a little little jaundiced and, and uh, a bit jaded, but if your culture tries to tell you that it's true, chances are it's not. So I bet you a gambling man could could look at everything that these TV shows tell you about UFOs and then assume the opposite and probably be right more often than if he bought into everything that he was being programmed with. Culture is not our friend. Culture is everything we don't have to believe in. Well, that's true. And, you know, I've, I've also appeared on the, uh, the History Channel and uh, I wasn't very happy about the way that program was, was produced. It was a series of documentaries, and it was in Spanish. Uh, it was edited in such a way that uh, I, I ended up saying things on screen which I didn't really say at all, but at least not, not in that order. That's happened to Chris a few times, Chris O'Brien. By the way, before we go on, we should call Chris by his birth name, KK, because otherwise the Chris and the Chris is going to just drive us crazy. <laughs> But he's mentioned a few times, too, going on these TV shows, and they take you out of context, or they need to find, again, the talking point. They do that with interviews of politicians, where someone says something in one sentence, you didn't build that, which has nothing to do, of course, with UFOs. It was about a comment on Mm -hmm. it takes a village and, and industry in the presidential campaign in 2012. But they distorted the comment by taking one sentence. You can do that with anything. You take one sentence, and I could be saying things you don't want to hear, and I won't mention those sentences because I'll do it. We have Chris Aubeck, co-author of a new book called Return to Magonia. More to come with Gene and KK. You're in The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. We use mobile devices right against our bodies every day. But growing scientific evidence has emerged showing serious health risks associated with exposure to EMF radiation emitted from these devices. The solution is Defender Shield, the most effective mobile radiation shielding ever developed. Defender Shield blocks virtually 100% of EMF radiation from cell phones, tablets, and laptops and starts at just $64.99. Buy now at DefenderShield.com. For 10% off, use promo code GCN. DefenderShield.com, the worldwide leader in mobile radiation shielding.
So you've got to take a state construction license exam or certification. Can't decide on what books or what chapters to study? Discover right now how you can eliminate unnecessary books and wasted study time. At ContractorExam.com, our study materials zero in on state-required test topics in an effective, multiple-choice format. So whether you're a plumber, electrician, general contractor, or other construction-related trade, ContractorExam.com will help get you prepared. Visit us at www.ContractorExam.com today. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. 1-855-905-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. Say goodbye to the cable guy. And get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. Sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and there's no equipment to buy. You get free HD TV upgrade, a free DVR upgrade, and free professional and installation you control what you watch when you watch it record your favorite shows pause and rewind live tv even skip the commercials watch local channels too at just $19.99 what are you waiting for pull out your major credit or debit card call 1-855-905-MY-TV 1-855-905-MY-TV say goodbye to the cable guy cut costs and get more 1-855-905-MY-TV 1-855-905-MY-TV my dad was 59 when he collapsed from a heart attack late last year. Just this past August was when we spread his ashes on the St. Croix River. I loved my dad, but boy was he stubborn. He hadn't been to the doctor in over 25 years. His excuse? He simply couldn't afford it. He wasn't a rich man by any means. At less than $107 per month, libertyoncall.org would have been the perfect alternative for my father. Don't wait. Go to libertyoncall.org right now for not just your sake, but for the sake of your loved ones. Again, that's libertyoncall.org. What would your life be like if you woke up each morning with new vitality, feeling better than you have in years, and you noticed a difference in your sleeping patterns, blood sugar levels, and had a sense of well-being overall? There's something that is changing thousands of people's lives, and you could be one of them. It's called Heart and Body Extract. Sharon Harris, co-creator of Heart and Body Extract, talks about the positive effects of Heart and Body Extract. What happens with the formula Heart and Body Extract is it's giving the body the necessary vitamins, minerals, amino acids, enzymes, and phytonutrients so, so the body will heal itself. And yes, the body does have the ability to balance blood pressure, balance cholesterol, clean and unclog the arteries. It can also work on uh, balancing the circulation for diabetics. So the body is an amazing thing. It simply needs some help so it has the tools to heal itself. Heart and body extract gets results. To order your two-month supply, call now, toll-free at 866-295-5305. Order online at hbextract.com. There are hundreds of silver products on the market today, but there's nothing like the astonishing health benefits of the multi-patented One Silver Solution. Boost your immune system at a great price with our Silver Solution Liquid, starting at $12.95 a bottle, now available in regular and extra strength. That's half the price of the leading competitors. Call 844-USE-SILVER for your free catalog or go to onesilversolution.com, onesilversolution.com. There is only one Silver Solution. This is Micah Hanks of the Gray Alien Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So we are covering the book, Return to Magonia, Investigating UFOs in History, co-authored by Chris Aubeck. 
Chris, before we go on, can you tell us about your co-author and how you and he got involved? Yeah, um, I approached Martin Schoff uh, several years ago after reading some of his work on UFO cases on the internet. I was impressed by his very broad knowledge of science, geography, meteorology, and so on, uh, which he applies to very complex UFO sightings involving radars and other cases like that. He has a website. You can see some of his work there. It's quite impressive. And Martin's methodology and mine work together in tandem to examine historical UFO sightings to to bits, really. Uh, He's one of the people who's had the most influence over how I approach research, which can get very technical in areas. We should never lose sight of the fact that we are studying physical phenomena that interact with the real world. So we need to use all the tools and knowledge that science provides. Um, It's what makes us um, very meticulous, particularly in this book. But, you know, this, this kind of proper detective work does pay off every time. So when I approached Martin, having seen the kind of work that he's done, I thought, this is exactly what I need. This is, I mean, we can work together, we can collaborate on a study of some of the best cases in history, and we can analyze them to bits. That's exactly what we've done. Um, he was a member of uh, Magonia Exchange, my, my research group on the internet, uh, for many years, and uh, he's contributed some amazing observations to, to historical cases over the years. So I think he's uh, a really great asset. Okay, so going with this, starting this book project, what were your goals? What we wanted to do was to have a look at historical cases in a different way. Um, As we say in the introduction, there are these two polar opposites in the UFO debate. On the one hand, there are people who see UFOs everywhere and throughout time, who see the phenomenon as something that's been around since Mesopotamia and has never gone away. Then there are the people who who refuse to accept that anything anomalous has been seen anywhere at all, ever. And they treat UFOs as another folkloric motif, alongside flying carpets and winged horses. What we do is to take a, a third approach. We have absolutely no bias in this field. I mean, I personally don't mind if all UFOs turn out to be atmospheric phenomena or misinterpretations or hoaxes or even little grey men. My interest lies in how human belief systems have developed over time, how folklore and fake law influence people's ideas and decision making. If I find out one of the cases that interests me was actually or probably an anomaly, I consider that a bonus. And what we do in Return to Magonia is to collect 20 or so cases that do represent anomalies, and we explain why they're anomalous at great length. All right, so we're looking at UFOs now not as spaceships, but as something that is, as you say, anomalous. So That's but right. physical, yeah. physical in nature. Right, so a physical anomaly. Can we maybe look at one case, describe one typical case, and explain what is anomalous about it, what is so strange, and what seems to make it unusual? Well, uh, for example, in chapter two of the book, we talk about um, a case that occurred in the year 1665. And it's very interesting. Basically, a a series of objects were seen flying in the sky near the German city of Stralsund in April 1665. Uh, The report mentions ships 
flocks of birds, fire and smoke. But there was also a, a dark plate or, or hat-shaped object that hovered over the church of St. Nicholas for an hour. And there are plenty of witnesses, including several fishermen, who afterwards complained of physical problems, including like trembling and pain in their hands and feet. And what we found out is that the contemporary illustrations were pretty good. And combined with the time and the date, um, we know what was going on in the sky at the time. Because what we use, I mean, in, what we've used in, throughout this, this book is um, a digital planetarium. So basically, we're calculating the positions of the stars, the planets, the sun, the moon in the sky for any time on any date throughout history. Because in this case, we have the exact time, we have the exact date, uh, we're able to calculate the positions of all of the um, uh, celestial bodies. So we can definitely rule out the sun or the moon or, or stars, planets and, and sun dogs. So we thought maybe it's it'll have to do with clouds or flocks of starlings, which sometimes can form strange shapes in the sky. But this phenomenon lasted far too long even for that. So, you know, as far as we're concerned, it's a very early sighting of a disc-shaped object in the sky with, with no possible explanation. Um, I think we use about eight or nine pages to, to discuss this, and we look at it from every possible angle. I mean, what would you have to do these days, because there's so much information available to us, it's the first time in history that humanity's had access to so much data about the past, you look at the meteorological angles, you look at the astronomical angle, you, you look at the topography, the geology, and everything else related to a case at any time in history to, to reach a conclusion. So, yeah, the Stralsund disk is very interesting because there's absolutely nothing that can explain it. And the witnesses suffered from physical, physical ailments afterwards. It's uh, one of the earliest, to my recollection, really bona fide and documented sightings of a dish-shaped object. Uh, I know there are stories that are earlier than this, but the the amount of documentation here is very impressive. Yeah, it is. And in fact, we, we published um, an article about this a short time ago, so it's available on the internet. So in fact, people can actually read that chapter of the book if they want to. Mm-hmm. Well, what um, what sort of differences do you uh, have you delineated out from wonders in the sky? Are you you, you seem to be concentrating on on really well documented cases in, in this book, as opposed to trying to supply a timeline of um, potentially anomalous events, uh, as you did with uh, with Jacques Vallée and Wonders in the Sky. This one looks like you really dug into some cases. Uh, whole cloth and really, really dug out, uh, as you were describing, all the various um, angles and details. Yeah, that's right. I mean, in Wonders in the Sky, we collected 500 of the most interesting historical UFO cases on record. And this was a, a massive achievement at the time in itself, because to reach 500, we had to sort through an archive of several thousand reports to wow. get the original source for practically all of them. You know, some were in Latin, others in medieval German or French. And we had an extra section on myths and legends and some very doubtful cases, but the focus was on gathering as many good UFO accounts from ancient times as we could fit into a single book. Um, some might say that um, sort of bringing hundreds of sightings from mystical and religious, scientific and 
historical sources together like that was to take them out of context. And, you know, they'd probably be right. We didn't provide a socio-cultural context for most of the accounts in Wonders in the Sky. However, we, we, we did make it known from the start that this was just a first step in a much bigger project, oh. which is the analysis of, of historical records in, in search of parallels with modern UFO phenomena. So the first step had to be to collect all the data we could. And this itself made a fascinating book. And it's a book we will continue to revise and update in the future. But now in Return to Magonia, what Martin Schoff and I've done is to take a selection of historical accounts and analyze them from every angle possible, taking into account the sociocultural factors, physical factors, and, and um, everything else, and use all the technical resources available in the 21st century to do that. I mean, for us, it's like the next logical step after Wonders in the Sky. And um, I, I don't think anything's been published before on the subject of, Euro, of UFOs in history with so much detail. Most of them just list the basic sighting and details. I agree with that. Chris Arbeck is joining us with Gene and KK. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Conspiracy Journal is your number one source for the hidden world of the weird and strange. We bring you thought-provoking and controversial material for free-thinking individuals who are seeking what is really going on in our world today. Some of this material may adversely affect you. Other pieces are meant to enlighten. Either way, be prepared to be intrigued by such things as the reality of UFOs, ghosts, strange creatures from time and space, hidden conspiracies, time travel, Nikola Tesla, suppressed technology, and a whole lot more. You can find out more by visiting our website at conspiracyjournal.com. There you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter sent directly to your email address. Find out what they don't want you to know. This is Dan Pilla. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you? I've defended people from the IRS for over 30 years. I've helped thousands and I can help you too. I wrote the book on IRS settlement and I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a hopeless case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX to finally get free of IRS debt. With the IRS's new programs, there's never been a better time to solve your problem. Call 800-34-NO-TAX. That's 800-34-NO-TAX or my website, danpilla.com. Hey, Berkey Guy here. Are you still drinking unfiltered tap water? Does your water contain chlorine or fluoride? Will you have drinkable water in an emergency? The Berkey Guy is here to help you remove these and other potential contaminants from your water, thus helping you drink clean, purified water. We offer Berkey water purification systems at the lowest available prices online. Don't go another moment without Berkey System. Over the last 10 years, we've helped thousands drink clean, purified water. Join them by visiting GoBerkey.com or call me, the Berkey Guy, at 877-886-3653. That's 877-886-3653.
Are your Google search results killing you? Unflattering content in blogs, news articles, online reviews, social media, or other sources can jeopardize your reputation, your business, and your livelihood. Let Reputation.com help. Our patented technology will make the truth about you more visible while pushing down unwanted negative content. Improve your Google search results. Call Reputation.com at 1-800-831-0771 for a free consultation. That's 800-831-0771. Don't take a cold or flu lying down. Stand up and fight back with Supernatural Silver. Supernatural Silver is a natural immune system booster that is highly effective against viruses, bacteria, and fungus. Supernatural Silver is perfect for daily use and can be taken orally or used topically to keep you protected from whatever comes your way. This new technology is hundreds of times more effective than colloidal or ionic silver and is supported by extensive research from over 300 clinical studies at universities and independent research facilities across the country. Supernatural Silver Silver has an exceptionally long storage life and should be an essential part of your emergency preparedness. Don't be caught off guard. Give your body the support it needs to fight off deadly pathogens that are lurking everywhere. Stock up on Supernatural Silver and give yourself and your loved ones a fighting chance. Go to SupernaturalSilver.com and use the promo code SILVER2015 for 20% off. That's SupernaturalSilver.com. SupernaturalSilver.com. Paid non-attorney spokesperson Adam Pulaski of the Pulaski Law Firm with principal office in Houston, Texas is the attorney responsible for the content of this ad. This ad is not legal advice and the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely upon advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Attention Zarelto users. If you or a loved one took Zarelto and suffered a serious bleeding event, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Zarelto is a popular prescription blood thinner used to prevent blood clots and protect patients from strokes. These serious bleeding events have led to numerous cases of hospitalization and even death. Phone lines are open 24-7. Call 800-261-0937. That's 800-261-0937. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. Now, the first case you cited for us, I was interested in your mentioning people getting sick mm-hmm. as a result. And we think yes. then, of course, of the Cash Landrum case in 1980, Rendlesham in 1980. How many of the cases that you analyze and study in the book involve the side effects for people who witnessed it? Well, in this book, we, we don't really concentrate on, on side effects uh, very much. I mean, the main, the main side effect really is, is fear, obviously. People got very afraid, especially in the, in the 19th century, in the early days of UFOs, you could say, because they had no idea what it was and they had nothing to compare it to. It's not as if science fiction provided a template for them to say, oh, this must be a spaceship. I'm not going to run away. I'm going to see how many tentacles they have. Uh, so people were afraid, but we don't really have any more cases in this particular book of people who who suffer from ailments. Um, we have actually written, I mean, uh, the, the version of Return to Magonia that's come out uh, is half of the cases that, that we've uh, compiled so far, uh, so far to be published. So with any luck, in, I don't know, a few months, in a year, we could bring out the second part. And I believe there we do have some cases in which you see the physical impact on humans of UFO sightings. Now, in terms of parallels to modern cases, to what degree do you see things that seem to be similar to one degree or another? Well, what I really see is that it's like there's a continuation of UFO cases um, from ancient times uh, up to present day. I mean, practically every component 
of modern ufology, whether it's um, a mythical component or a fake component or something that's truly there, seems to be reflected in historical cases. I mean, that includes stories about entities, uh, whether they're floating in the sky or walking along the ground, uh, the shapes of, of the vehicles, uh, their behavior too, and how these objects seem to, to get around, whether it's by flying in the sky or across the ground. There are just so many different parallels uh, between historical cases and modern ones that it's a lot more difficult to answer the question, what are the differences? Because once we've seen uh, how ufologies developed over the last two centuries, which is basically what my, my group does, Magonia Exchange, um, which if anyone's listening, they can always contact me and, and become a member quite easily. Um, what we've been doing over the, uh, over the last 13 years is to look at um, historical sightings, compare them to, to modern ones, it just seems as if there, there isn't a very big um, divide. Uh, so rather than saying that there's um, post-1947 ufology and pre-1947 ufology, for me it's practically all just one continuation. What are some of the earliest cases that you feel have enough documentation to, you know, sort of suggest that we are dealing with something that may have been around for millennia. Uh, I mean, what, what are some of the, the best early cases? In the, in the book, we start with the 17th century, 17th century England, in fact. There are much earlier cases than that. And if anyone wants to check out um, Wonders in the Sky, you know, there's a, there's a big section on, on medieval cases. But because what we're looking for, uh, Martin and I are, are cases with uh, enough data in them to analyze them properly. Um, we start in the 17th century. Uh, so, I mean, in chapter one, um, we talk about how uh, in England at that time, uh, people used accounts of strange events to show that God supported their particular war or cause. And we, we look at the Mirabilis Annus, which was uh, three volumes that covered just a few years in the 1660s. And we know, we know that many of the testimonies in this collection must be fake, but we were happily surprised to find, using the digital planetarium and other sources, that many were also very accurate too. I mean, the Mirabilis Annus doesn't just gather UFO reports. It also has accounts of unusual weather, deformed animals, marine monsters and ghosts, but 146 of them were about things in the sky. So here we have a book where we find some UFO cases from the 1660s. For example, uh, somebody sees uh, strange light with appendages, that, like, like legs, other lights that move around very strangely, other, other lights that, um, well, that sort of enter water and exit water and so on. There are just so many cases in this 17th century manuscript. Um, then after that, in the book, we talk about uh, Strausson, uh, which I described before. And then we get into the topic of, um, of lights and, and strange fireballs, which in, in Wales, 
uh, played a very important part in UFO history. I mean, uh, they, they'd been seen there since the 17th century onwards. Um, there was an important flap of sightings in Wales, for example, in 1904 and 1905. So um, this is, this is a, a continuation there from ancient times to, to, to the 20th century. So we look, we look at that in quite, de- in, in quite a lot of detail. And then we look into the, the 18th century and we, we examine a case from 1749 in which um, it was said that a fireball sort of came out of the sea and attacked a ship. We're beginning to find the, the, best, the best cases with the best data around the um, 17th and 18th century. That's about as far as you can push good cases in, mm-hmm. in the sense that if, you, if you're trying to find cases with a, a date, time, known witnesses, a known location, and so on, you can't get much beyond the 17th century, unfortunately. Yeah, we we have some uh, some really good questions in our question bank where our listeners are able to post questions that we then ask our guests. And you've already answered several about like what's the cutoff date? What's the um, I, I didn't notice the date of the most recent case in the book. Well, uh, we actually take it up to um, to, to the year nineteen forty seven. I mean, okay, in- up to the modern era. Okay. Yeah, because in Wonders in the Sky, we had to stop somewhere. I mean, we could have added another 20 or 30 right, years. You stopped in 1882, I think, before the, the age of flight. <laughs> well, yeah, we chose 1879, uh, 1879 because it was around, okay. around that time when people started reporting actual uh, human-made aircraft in the sky, ballooning was becoming more popular, and people were trying out new designs. But then in Return to Magonia, we didn't need to stop there because we're – we're examining the stories in such detail. So we take them right up to 1947, just before Kenneth Arnold's sighting over Mount Rainier. I mean, of course, we can go straight into 1948 and the 1950s, but then we'd be looking at modern UFO history and not and not historical UFOs. And plenty of uh, <laughs> ink has been uh, artfully spilled on, on that particular time period forward. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> well, I'll tell you. They get uh, my editor who signed me for my first book said she she was getting a hundred book proposals a week on her desk uh, from uh, <laughs> people about UFOs and the paranormal. So uh, here, here's an interesting question, uh, and and this gets into kind of an aside you made earlier about whether we might be seeing some sort of atmospheric life life form. Wade, one of our longtime posters, uh, just passed the 4,000 postmark, too, I might add, on our forums. And he gets a gold watch next week. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He's wondering um, if you've ever addressed the thinking that some people have proposed that some UFOs are thought to be biological sky critters, a la Trevor James Constable, of course, who is famous for his photographs, I think, in the 50s and 60s. Uh, I think it was about when he started using infrared film and filming what what appeared to be these giant amoebas in the sky Mm -hmm. that he claimed were uh, invisible to the naked eye and uh, were actually living in our atmosphere. Do you have any cases, uh, either from Wonders in the Sky or in, in your new book, that suggest something biological in nature? Well, you know, that's a very interesting question because at different times in history, people have wondered if UFOs were living creatures. I mean, of course, we have the dragons and other flying monsters on on the one hand, 
But if you look through 19th century science fiction, you find stories about lights in the sky as highly developed living beings or even souls uh, fluttering around in the, in the atmosphere. I mean, personally, my window into this question is through accounts of humanoid beings that actually become balls of light or fire and fly across the sky, which you can find in folklore and in alleged true accounts. So even though I um, personally I, I don't look for cases of UFOs which have been interpreted as living, breathing creatures, I mean, it's, it's always been a long tradition. And this idea that the actual UFO itself as a ball of light, when it descends to the earth, can transform into a humanoid, have some kind of interaction with people, and then at the end of that, it becomes a ball of light again and zips off into the, into the sky. Glenda the Good Witch. We have to zip off right now. With Gene and KK and Glenda, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Are you tired of commuting to a job that makes someone else rich, working harder than ever, but getting nowhere? Do you hate spending hundreds of dollars every week on daycare, having someone else raise your children? With our opportunities, you can start earning money as soon as next week. You get to be the boss, work from home, and live a happier life. At Be The Boss Network, you'll find hundreds of work-from-home opportunities that you can literally start today and be earning money as soon as next week. Go to freedom106.com and start earning money as soon as next week. You get to be the boss. Get out of the rat race. Work from home. Go to freedom106.com right now and change your life today. That's freedom, the number 106.com. Go to freedom106.com and start earning money as soon as next week. You be the boss. Go to freedom106.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Glenda the Good Witch? <laughs> Glenda the Good Witch. Okay, we're going to take votes on the quality of that imitation. Well, we have- when, when you say glowing balls of light gets out, has an interaction, gets back in and floats away... 
I revert back to my childhood and watching The Wizard of Oz. I mean, it was the producer's girlfriend who was probably should be on the you know, Rotten Tomatoes uh, worst actresses of all time list. Anyway, I'm sorry I digress here. Uh, you know, flying humanoid reports is something that I've been. I've had a number of reports uh, since 2007, 2008 uh, in Colorado of what appear to be flying humanoids. Now, I recall from your book that there were several reports that may have been misinterpreted as that uh, in Wonders of the Sky. But have you encountered cases that uh, you feel are real credible? I, I remember the Bishop of Asgard. What, what was that one case where... Bishop of Lyon in, in, in France, that's right. right. Yeah, I mean, he, yes. I mean, that, that's where the word Magonia comes from, of course. You know, I mean, because at that time, they, people believed that possibly um, they were being invaded by some foreign land that could send ships through the sky and they would ravage the crops. But by so doing, they'd be taking the, the crops or the essence of the crops with them into the sky on these ships and taking them back to the um, mystical and uh, unknown land of, of Magonia. And, I mean, there weren't any flying humanoids in that story. I, I normally try to distinguish between a flying humanoid, which is just a, a person like Superman bobbing around in the sky, and cases of uh, humanoids that, that do transform into balls of light. I'm actually writing a book at this point about cases like this through history, um, even looking for, you know, lo looking at modern examples too. I haven't got a name for the book yet, but um, I mean, personally, I call them something like neon phantoms because uh, they, they look like, um, like ghosts when they transform. Um, but I mean, they, they can be ghostly or extraterrestrial in origin or imaginary. It doesn't really matter very much, but there's so many cases like this through yeah. history. And then you, you also find them in, in modern abduction law, you know, the, the little gray aliens that transform into balls of light mm -hmm. to get into a room, maybe as Santa Claus might, I don't know. It's an interesting subject. Yeah, it's also, uh, you can make a case for an occult angle too, because often, let's say in Mexico or in uh, the Southwest United States, where we are, fine humanoid reports often have a kind of a folkloric interpretation of being witches, being uh, black magicians, adepts who were able to, uh, to fly. I've interviewed uh, a woman who claims her grandmother attempted to teach her this uh, long line of multi-generational line of brujos. Uh, there have been cases in Mexico that actually were officially reported by law enforcement who in one case were attacked by what was described as a flying female form that attacked these guys outside their squad car. Uh, there's been some fairly good videotape taken uh, over the years of something uh, that appears to be <laughs> a black-robed humanoid figure flying around in the sky. Some pretty good daylight footage I remember from the 90s. And I've had uh, over a dozen cases in the San Luis Valley from one part of the valley of what appears to be like a gargoyle, Dracula meets uh, aerial effect out of The Frighteners, uh, the movie The Frighteners. It's the only way I can describe it, seen by real reliable witnesses. So I think it's a, worthy of a book. And I, uh, it wasn't it Ken uh, Gearhart that just wrote a book on flying humanoids? It, it wasn't that extensive. It didn't go – it just concentrated on a number of, of cases. But um, 
There, surprisingly, there's been uh, uh, quite a number of these cases over the years, just as, as, as there's been a surprising high percentage of cases of UFOs involved with bodies of water, which a lot mm-hmm. of people who don't have a background in this field, to the extent that we do, are, I think, for the most part, unaware. I mean, Ivan Sanderson and Invisible Residents made the incredible uh, statement that he believed uh, up to 50% of all UFO sightings are involved with uh, with bodies of water. So yeah, there's, there's, in the book we mentioned, we mentioned a few cases like that too. Yeah, I mean, well, you have just, the case of the Victoria. You also have the Strasbourg uh-huh. case. Uh, That's right. Yeah, I mean, just to mention uh, flying humanoids for a second again. I mean, in, mm-hmm. in in chapter seven, we talk about a case which I find very interesting because it's um, it's an object seen in the sky. It was in August 1829. A, a group of people in Leeds in England saw what they thought was the full moon until it separated into two halves right above their heads. And then two humanoid figures came out and started floating in the sky for about an hour. So, I mean, what we did in, in, this, in this case was to find out whether the moon was actually full on that date or not, uh, which would be August the 20th, 1829. And it wasn't. It wasn't full. And then we analyzed the story from every possible angle. And what we found was that there were so many other cases through history uh, before 1947 of objects that were, well, they they looked like the moon or they resembled the sun and they they opened up. They were like people inside or, I mean, sometimes they just talked about faces, but quite often they were like flying angelic beings that pop out of, of an orb flying in the sky. So these these cases are interesting because, of course, this predates all UFO encounters involving flying saucers or other kinds of spaceships of the 1940s. Why do you think it is that UFOs became so popular after World War II? Was it just the accident of the Kenneth Arnold sighting and the right conditions for publicity, even though this has been an ongoing phenomenon? I mean, I have to look at this uh, historically and chronologically. I mean, um, UFOs, the the idea that alien artifacts could come from another planet and land on Earth started um, at the start of, of the 19th century. I mean, we're, there we, we talk about uh, meteorites with hieroglyphics on them or objects that contain books and papers or even mummified aliens that came from other planets. And then we, we can find that from around 1847 onwards. Then, then after that, and, and during that period, uh, people became very interested in meteors in general uh, because they, they began to realize that, um, that meteors, meteorites, asteroids, and so on could come from, from other planets. So this, this whole theme became very popular from that point on. I mean, if you look at ancient astronauts, this, the, the theory of ancient astronauts started in 1823 in France, and um, it's never gone away. Uh, what people don't realize is that, uh, you know, before von Daniken, uh, 150 years before von Daniken, people discussed the possibility that uh, a planet had blown up somewhere in our solar system or outside it, and it had rained down fragments here, some of which are actually inhabited by people. I mean, there was a guy in 1877 who said that Australia uh, was itself an asteroid that had come from uh, outer space 
And that explains why it was populated with very strange creatures and people. And uh, they said, well, now it's fallen into, into Earth territory. We can take it for ourselves, you know, find us keepers. So what I find is that it's not that UFOs became so popular after 1947. It was building up to this for a very long time. And then you go up to the uh, 1880s, uh, 1870s, 1880s, when they start to talk about uh, actual spaceships fallen from the sky and uh, contact with uh, extraterrestrials. Then at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, this continues. There's, there, there were still cases of, of actual spaceships uh, in, you know, reported in newspapers. Um, people found uh, skull fragments uh, and said, well, uh, this probably will belong to a Martian who, who, who landed uh, very badly and uh, his, uh, his spaceship blew up. And then you, you, you find a lot of this all the way through the 1910s. Um, then what happens around sort of 19, well, between 1910, 1920, I mean, then you have the, the, the war, people's interest. I mean, their, their, their focus changes. But at the same time, there was um, a huge interest in science fiction. So um, it, it, it sort of replaced, in a sense, the, the articles that had been coming out in the, in the press in the 19th century. Let's break it here, and we'll pursue that in more detail in our next segment. With Chris Aubeck, Gene, and KK, you're in The Paracast. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the protectors find out more at rockoids.com that's rockoids r-o-c-k-o-i-d-s.com my name is bill bonner and i have an important message right now the highest levels of government are struggling against an inevitable crisis but they're about to lose control when this happens it will rip our country apart in ways you never imagined from where we shop to the family you want to protect. Look, I've made predictions like this before. A few years ago, I warned that the housing prices would collapse. Before that, I warned that dot-com companies would crash, and they did. Those who listened had a chance to save themselves. But this has nothing to do with the stock market. This will affect us all. I've posted a free video at disappearingdollar.com. Maybe you'll disagree with my conclusions, but first, you need to watch this video and see the facts for yourself. You can watch the video for free right now by going to disappearingdollar.com. Again, that's disappearingdollar.com.
A lot of people's lives and bodies are out of balance. AlkaVision Plasma pH drops optimize pH level and get rid of harmful waste and acid. Just a few drops in water restores vibrance and energy and gets you back in balance. Now order two bottles and get $10 off your order. Sign up for monthly auto shipping and save 25%. Call 800-518-7615 or visit alkavision.com. Alkalize your body, supercharge your health at alkavision.com. This is a healthcare alert from the Pain Relief Hotline. If you, a family member, or a loved one suffers from knee, back, shoulder, or ankle pain and have Medicare as your primary insurance, we've got great news. You don't have to suffer any longer. You can immediately qualify for a pain relieving brace at little or no cost to you by calling our 24-7 Pain Relief Hotline at 866-389-0620. Delivery is free and all paperwork is handled for you. If you are on Medicare and have knee, back, shoulder, or ankle pain, don't wait you can qualify to immediately receive a pain-relieving brace at little or no cost by calling our 24-7 pain hotline now at 866-389-0620. Our representatives are standing by 24-7 to take your call and rush you your pain-relieving brace at little or no cost to you. Shipping is free and all paperwork is handled for you. Just call 866-389-0620. That's 866-389-0620. Again, 866-389-0620. If you're like me, you're concerned about the stock market and the economy. You're asking the questions, but it just doesn't seem that you're getting the right answers. Well, my friends at the Wealth Preservation Institute not only have the answers, but they've put together a free report, How to Survive the Upcoming Economic Collapse and Protect Your 401Ks, IRA Savings, and Retirement Income. Don't hesitate. This report's for free for a limited time by calling 888-772-2929. That's 888-772-2929. Take back your financial lives today. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So if you check plus.theparacast.com, P-L-U-S.theparacast.com, you'll learn about our second radio show called After the Paracast, and also about getting the ad-free version of this show. Complete show transcripts just starting, videos coming in a very short time. A lot more for a modest monthly, annual, five-year or lifetime subscription rate. We also give free eBooks for long-term subscriptions. Learn all the details, plus.theparacast.com, plus.theparacast.com. Our guest this week is Chris Aubeck, co-author of Return to Magonia, Investigating UFOs in History. And now we were talking about UFOs around World War I or the part of the last century. And you mentioned science fiction. I assume things like Jules Verne or stories like that, right? Well, there's a lot more than that. I mean, Jules, Edgar Rice uh, Burroughs, of course. I mean, the, the, these practically don't even enter the, the UFO picture in a sense. I mean, there was just so much science fiction generated in the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century, that there are so many books that discuss disc-shaped objects, you know, published from, from the 1880s onwards. This whole idea that UFO 
in or in interest in, in alien contact or UFOs started from 1947 isn't isn't quite true. It, it was just um, you know a step more in the development of of a, of a theme which had been popular at least since the beginning of the 19th century. Then you know after the this huge increase in science fiction in the 1920s and 30s, then people began talking again about the possibility that UFOs could invade, were invading, were visiting us. Then when 1947 happened and Kenneth Arnold had his sighting, it was already there. It was already a part of culture. Yeah. It was already a part of human, ex- you know, or human experience or human imagination, one of the two. There was a huge wave of activity all through the Midwest and West, especially on the West Coast the uh, weeks uh, prior to the Arnold sighting in Roswell. But also you have your great airship wave that kind of pumped the waters a little bit, which many people think uh, the pivotal uh, Mercury Theater broadcast of the reworking of War of the Worlds by Orson Welles, uh, done as a kind of a mock newscast that uh, there was some debate over how influential that actually was at the time. But I think over time, it has influenced policy amongst uh, the government officials uh, and, and may have had a unintended side effect of of maybe heightening the secrecy around government interest in the subject. Back in the uh, 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries, did you find the government taking an active interest in these claims? Uh, and how about academia, science, scientists, astronomers? I didn't find, well, I haven't found um, any sense of a conspiracy in the 19th century. I mean, as far as I know, only one person, an, an Australian, well, actually Irish originally, uh, an engineer named Fred Birmingham uh, said that he thought, and he was a man who had a dream that, uh, or some people would say he actually had the, the experience itself, although it did, it did involve floating heads and a lot of strange things like that. But anyway, he had a, um, a dream in which uh, an airship landed next to his house. The pilot came out and, and showed him um, how to operate the machine and said, you've got to build one. And this was a period in which people, I mean, it was the 18, 1870s, 1860s, and it was a period when, when people were really trying to, to build the first working airship, or a dirigible, because hot air balloons could not be steered very well. So he dedicated the rest of his life to, to designing a machine just like the one that he'd seen in his dream or in his vision. While he was doing so, I mean, because he, he devoted all his life to that. I mean, he, he spent all his money on it. Uh, he lost his job. He almost became, well, I think he became penniless in the end. He died in, in an uh, asylum in the end, uh, completely forgotten. And he'd been a, a member of, of parliament, in fact. But we're talking about a man who thought that the, the British, particularly Queen Victoria, had um, something against him. And they were trying to to cover up his, his research and to sort of belittle his attempts to build a flying machine. So he thought that there was a conspiracy against him by Queen Victoria. He's um, born 100 years too soon. <laughs> that's right, yeah. I mean, today he'd be in all, all kinds of chat shows. Yeah, he'd famous. be on coast to coast every other night. <laughs> that's right, yeah. So, you know, I mean, apart from that, no, we haven't really found any any indication. Well, I just, I, I didn't so much mean a conspiracy. I just assumed that, you know, I mean, this is so rare back then that I don't think there'd be a conspiracy, but just indications of official government investigations, official government scientists commenting on it, making measured statements, that sort of thing, maybe 
uh, quotes by astronomers. What was oh, the yeah, there's, there was plenty of that all the way yeah. through because, um, you know, I mean, until uh, I mean, the, the way it works is that uh, up till the uh, 17th century, um, anyone could publish about these things. I mean, uh, science didn't have its own journals, in a sense. I mean, science was still like public knowledge. And, um, you know, the gossip columns and the science columns were practically the same thing at that point. The newspapers published about anything. Uh, then, then from the 18th century onwards, uh, science publications were founded so that um, scientists, if they wanted to be taken seriously, wouldn't publish in, in popular newspapers. So, from the 18th century onwards, yeah, there was a lot more interest by the establishment, by official scientists in, in anything, in any kind of um, observation of, um, of zany meteorites that, that flew strangely or, or natural phenomena. Then at the beginning of the 19th century, again, with this massive um, explosion of, of newspapers, the new newspaper industry, from, from that point, everybody, again, could publish practically whatever they wanted because the editors are only interested in selling copies of the newspapers. So the stranger, the better. And, and then what happened was that uh, scientists felt quite snobbish about this, of course, so they stuck with their journals, whereas, you know, for the general population, newspapers uh, serve that purpose to get information out there about unusual sightings of any kind. So, I mean, that that's the way it worked, really. Yeah, it sounds pretty similar to the way it works today. Just substitute newspaper with Internet and TV. And <laughs> Probably you, true. You've got a boilerplate for... Uh, 200 years of uh, head scratching and wheel spinning. That's true. Uh, here's another question. This one comes from Alien Esquire, who's been a poster for almost, uh, well, for just over a year. He doesn't post much, but he always asks good questions. He comes out when we have good guests on. He has a couple of questions. And since we were talking about uh, wartime periods, this is something that I've noticed that uh, at the end of major uh, international conflicts in the 19th and 20th century, we seem to have an uptick in uh, in uh, UFO reports, uh, waves, if you will. And he's wondering, by your estimation, how have major world events such as World Wars One and Two, or the American Civil War and the Revolutionary Wars impacted the number and nature of historical UFO sightings? And I would include um, uh, conflicts uh, around the world in Europe. Uh, possibly in, in Africa or Asia. Do we see any correlations at all between uh, conflicts, an uptick, let's say, in sightings, or possibly even a downtick? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, UFO sightings do seem to increase in, in wartime. We can see that from the Foo Fighters of World War II, for example. Let's so do our I break here, and we'll go into UFOs in wartime. We've got Chris Aubeck with Gene and KK. You're in The Paracast. <laughs> Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, Berkey Guy here. Are you still drinking unfiltered tap water? Does your water contain chlorine or fluoride? Will you have drinkable water in an emergency? The Berkey Guy is here to help you remove these and other potential contaminants from your water, thus helping you drink clean, purified water. We offer Berkey water purification systems at the lowest available prices online. Don't go another moment without Berkey System. Over the last 10 years, we've helped thousands drink clean, purified water. Join them by visiting GoBerkey.com or call me, the Berkey Guy, at 877-886-3653. That's 877-886-3653. Hi, I'm Rick Osick with Famous Footwear. Did you know that premature birth is the number one killer of babies? 
That's why we support the March of Dimes in the fight against premature birth. Join us in supporting cutting-edge research, treatment programs, and outreach to help moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Learn how you can help save babies' lives at marchofdimes.org. Did you know that drinking pure, high-alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining high-energy and vibrant health? Most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops, available only at AlkaVision.com, combine a unique formula of only the most alkaline minerals. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops alkalize your water, ridding the body of harmful toxins, and helps you regain health and energy. Alkalizing your water by simply adding 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops helps the body rid itself of acidic waste, increases oxygen content, and raises the pH of your body to healthy levels. And bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH drops for only $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com today. I want to be able to smoke inside, cut down on cigarettes, jog without wheezing, be kissable, and save money. Then you want LeSig e-cigarettes. Get the highest quality, best tasting vaping experience on the market with unmatched customer service from LeSig. And right now, gobble up this deal. Buy $30 worth of any products and get a starter kit for only $5. Use code SK at checkout. But hurry, offer good only until Thanksgiving at LeSig.com. L-E-C-I-G.com. Kick some ash with LeSig. Sciatica, lower back pain, hip pain, poor posture. If you suffer from any of these problems, get ready to relax. Introducing an amazing product that's been in the market for over 25 years, the Sacro Wedgie. It was invented by a football coach using a common sense osteopath technique. He created this device to help his athletes by isolating and supporting the sacrum, which is the keystone of our anatomy. This wedge-shaped bone is in the center of our hips, where a lot of pain starts. Simply relax 20 minutes daily on the amazingly simple Sacro Wedgie and let Gravity do the work, helping muscles rebalance and start releasing nerves. Sit in the sacro wedgie at the computer or while traveling to help correct posture to finally help relieve those stubborn aches and pains for only $33.95. It's made in the USA, so click the family-owned website at sacrowedgie.com, spelled S-A-C-R-O-W-E-D-G-Y.com, or call 1-800-737-9295. That's 1-800-737-9295. Relax your back pain away with the sacro wedgie. Paid non-attorney spokesperson, Adam Pulaski of the Pulaski Law Firm with principal office in Houston, Texas, is the attorney responsible for the content of this ad. This ad is not legal advice, and the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely upon advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Attention, Zarelto users. If you or a loved one took Zarelto and suffered a serious bleeding event, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Zarelto is a popular prescription blood thinner used to prevent blood clots and protect patients from strokes. These serious bleeding events have led to numerous cases of hospitalization and even death. Phone lines are open 24-7. Call 800-261-0937. That's 800-261-0937. Hi, this is James Fox from Chasing UFOs. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. UFOs in wartime. Why? Is it because the phenomenon is observing us, Chris Arbeck? What do you think? Well, you know, I think this is mainly because in wartime, uh, people spend more time 
watching the skies. There's a heightened awareness of attack from the air. You can see that because in previous centuries, when UFOs were also spotted on a regular basis, there wasn't this massive increase in sightings because nobody expected to be attacked from the sky. I mean, during the airship wave of 1896, 1897, there was a massive amount of of new UFO sightings, but it wasn't all about airships. People were observing the sky for the first time. Venus, Mars, and so on were also uh, giving way to to this new wave of, of UFO sightings. So it's because people become extremely aware of what's going on above their heads. On the other hand, what we do find in in ancient descriptions of warfare, anecdotes about visions of angels, ghosts or God or writing floating in the clouds, almost always as propaganda. Uh, to, To illustrate what I mean about heightened awareness of the sky during wartime, I found a lot of stories about soldiers opening fire on enemy planes Uh, and discovering later they were shooting at Venus or Jupiter because they were just so fixated on on any lights appearing above their head. So I'm really not surprised that there is this increase in UFO sightings, you know, during during the war. I mean, just just the other day, actually, I I, I found in a, a case uh, in an, in a newspaper from 1916. Um, it says. The planet, Jupiter, being unusually bright one evening recently, some of the German soldiers uh, fired at it, thinking it was the light of a Russian airship. Okay, that's from a newspaper published on April the 10th, 1916. Then um, I also found in this book from 1858 that the the Turkish soldiers uh, one morning were all woken up because uh, someone thought that that someone had had sent up um, a rocket. In fact, it was um, it was just Venus. Uh, but they 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 were a couple all, all the soldiers, so they could get ready for an attack. And it was just Venus in the sky. So I think it's because there's a heightened awareness of the sky during wartime. Makes sense. Uh, also, uh, it tends to be towards the end of, of major conflicts that um, the sightings start to pick up in earnest. Uh, a good example would be the Foo Fighters and the Ghost Rockets. Um, also, the Great Wave of 73 is when we were starting to uh, ship a lot of our guys back from, from Southeast Asia. I've also noticed in, in this country, it's the year preceding a change in the uh, Democratic to Republican or vice versa uh, in the executive branch. I, I've I've found that there seems to be a correlation there as well. What kind um, of correlation? Huh? What kind of correlation? Um, there just seems to be an uptick in sightings uh, before a um, a change in in power in the executive branch of the U.S. government. You know, I'm, Look, I'm writing um, a book in which I'm talking about the development of of, your, of ufology from the 19th century to 1947, and I discovered because I was trying to work out a way to to structure the book because it's it's such a chaos there's so many cases and then i realized it all all divides itself into these convenient 50-year period blocks uh, because uh, the first case of an of an object that was supposedly artificially manufactured that that fell from the sky in in arkansas was 1847 so it started from there and then 1897 of course is when the, the great airship wave really began when they started talking about um, 
uh, about spaceships arriving on oh, Earth. Oh, the 1940s. You got uh, 1947. So, I mean, that, that's how the book divided itself. So whether it's just coincidence <laughs> or not, I don't, I'm not sure. Well, one thing I do, I do really appreciate um, in your approach is using a timeline uh, format uh, trying to trying to lay things out you know as best you can chronologically i've I've always done that with my my writing and I do find that it it makes it easier for a reader to progress along uh, through the information going step by step through time instead of jumping around books books that that jump around to different you know types of cases are more confusing to me. I, I guess I like things laid out in the manner that <laughs> that, that you do, and and I do as well. But uh, here's here's another interesting question from Alien uh, Esquire, and again we have kind of touched on this a little bit, but he's wondering what influence, if any, do you believe religion has played in both the reporting and evaluation. Of historical UFO sightings, for instance, have you considered the influence of religion in determining the veracity of a claim in order to avoid confusion with religious folklore? Well, you know, I mean, religion is an extremely important factor because the worldview of any individual has an impact on how he or, or she interprets what they see. Um, for example, when I see a rainbow, I see a meteorological phenomenon caused by light and water droplets. But someone else might see God's promise not to bring on another deluge. I mean, the, the, the paths of religion, extraterrestrials and UFOs intersect at various points. Yeah, so so um, when you see a rainbow, you don't think leprechauns and uh, chests of gold? Uh, no, I think, where's my camera? And I never get there on time. And it fades away. But still, you know, I mean, I mean, the, the thing is, the, the existence of a plurality of inhabited worlds was hotly debated by theologians for several hundred years, all the way through to the 18th and 19th century, when we find religious leaders discussing not only whether other planets are populated, but also the possibility that the Earth will receive visits from them. You know, I mean, we find this in, um, you know, from Swedenborg, to the up to the Mormons and the Seventh Day Adventists and so on, and so it, it's important not to take sightings out of context, but instead work within that context. I, I've seen some some excellent UFO-like stories in religious texts that I would never label as UFOs after I've examined the socio-cultural environment that they came from. Uh, even in Wonders in the Sky, uh, where at the moment we're revising that book and we're removing things, moving things around, correcting mistakes and so on. And there are cases there which I've said, no, I think we should, we should remove them because they're from a religious tradition. To understand what they saw, we would need to, to go back to, to, to the roots of this tradition. And, and you know, it's, it's like the Vimanas, it's like any mythological object in the sky is not necessarily a, a UFO. It, it, it's not always good enough for a, a UFO book. So I think it's very important to take religion into account. Yeah. Where do you come down on the ancient astronaut uh, context of uh David Hatcher Childress, Von Doniken, uh, Sukolo saying things like Vamanas were actual physical craft. This was a level of technology that had already been attained by humans. These were actually people flying around, getting in aerial fights. That this should be taken literally, not 
uh, interpreted uh, and filtered through some sort of religious sort of, you know, phraseology and, and, and filtering. Well, you know, I mean, we know that the, the, that the Vimanas, um, uh, they, they existed as a, as a mythological idea, a very ancient one, but practically everything that's been published about them isn't, isn't true, really. I mean, they, they, most of the information comes from this early 20th century text uh, written in Sanskrit, uh, the uh, Vaimanika Shastra. Uh, but it, it's not an ancient book. It was channeled by someone um, early in the 20th century. So practically every time someone talks about Vimanas, they they refer to this book as if it was authentically ancient, and it's, it's not. But, um, you know, I mean, I look at this again as, a, as a, a kind of continuous evolution of an idea. As I said before, the, the ancient astronaut theory was born really in 1823 in France, but you can actually find uh, very similar ideas from before that, going back to the 17th century. Um, Let's go into Ancient Astronauts and a lot more with Chris Abeck, co-author of Return to Magonia, Investigating UFOs in History, Learning the Lessons from History, perhaps, we hope. With Gene and KK, you're in The Paracast. listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. Are your Google search results killing you? Unflattering content in blogs, news articles, online reviews, social media, or other sources can jeopardize your reputation, your business, and your livelihood. Let Reputation.com help. Our patented technology will make the truth about you more visible while pushing down unwanted negative content. Improve your Google search results. Call Reputation.com at 1-800-831-0771 for a free consultation. That's 800-831-0771. Most of you know that heart disease is the number one silent killer in the U.S. What if I told you for just $54.95 a month you could fight against heart disease naturally? At Heart and Body Extract, we've been helping thousands of people get back to a healthier heart. Don't just take my word for it. Check out all of the success stories at hbextract.com. Or to order, call 866-295-5305. That's 866-295-5305. hbextract.com. Don't risk it when you can take charge of it. Just recently, we've witnessed some of the most catastrophic disasters in history. Be sure to prepare yourself with great-tasting, high-quality, GMO-free food that has a 25-year shelf life. Of course, we're talking about the foods from SurvivalFoodAlliance.com. 
And don't forget, the human body needs up to three quarts of water every day to remain healthy and hydrated. So check out our water bricks at survivalfoodalliance.com. Go to survivalfoodalliance.com or call 877-223-1776. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you, people seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more, and this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com, ParanormalDate.com, and use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to produce an endless supply of nano-sized silver solutions right from the convenience of your home. Silver Lungs. With the addition of our unique lung delivery system, respiratory infections are targeted directly, where traditional oral administration simply cannot reach. This pioneering method also preserves the original particle sizes and delivers your silver solution directly into the bloodstream. See the Silver Lungs generator and lung delivery system at silverlungs.com. That's silverlungs.com. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. Quick reminder to please visit plus.theparacast.com, plus.theparacast.com, where you can learn about our premium Features such as After the Paracast podcast, available exclusively to Paracast Plus subscribers, the ad-free version of this show. We're starting to include full show transcripts. We've got a couple up there of special episodes through the years. More to come. Videos coming. A lot more. Check out our rates for monthly, annual, five-year, lifetime subscriptions, free eBooks for long-term subscriptions, plus.theparacast.com, plus theparacast.com. So talking of ancient astronauts, the modern vernacular of that, Chris Aubeck, is that we were visited by beings that were ETs, but interpreted possibly as gods in the early years because that was the cultural reference. So how far back can we take ancient astronauts? Well, pretty far, really. I mean, um, there was this Austrian missionary called uh, Martin uh, Dobrizovic, uh, in the 18th century, who who said he had no idea how the how the American continent had been populated. I mean, the, the South American continent. Um, he said that the, the jungle was teeming with with human life, but there was no way it could ever have got there. And he he said, well, maybe it came from the moon. You know, maybe they they just jumped down from the moon. I mean, this this book uh, published was published in 1822, but even before that, um, there are sort of uh, clues that people were speculating along the same way. I mean, we have there was a bishop uh, Francis 
Godwin, the, the Bishop of Hereford, uh, who was born in 1562. Uh, he wrote a book called The Man in the Moon, in which um, he said that um, there are no sinners living on the moon because the, the inhabitants of the moon threw them down every time whenever they found a, a baby, that uh, a, a very difficult baby that wouldn't stop crying, for example, and they would land uh, in North America where they would become Red Indians. You know, so there was a lot of that going on. Then after that, in 1823, a French guy called Francois Chabrier published, published a book uh, in which he said that there was probably a, a planet orbiting between Mars and Jupiter, which had been inhabited by all kinds of flora and fauna and a race of intelligent beings. And this planet was destroyed by a comet or some kind of volcano. And then all the debris spread across the solar system and the chunks that fell on Earth caused Noah's flood and most of the mountains. And it left the landscape sort of full of strange stones and fossils and artifacts of intelligent design, which included uh, giant iron helmets and so on. So. All of this idea was very old. And then after him, there was another uh, French guy called uh, Jacques Boucher. And um, he, in 1841, said that um, the Earth could have the same fate. If Earth was destroyed, parts of our civilization could also end up on another planet. I mean, there was a lot of speculation of this kind. So, uh, I, I, well, actually, two months ago, I published a book in Spanish called Uparts. And I'm thinking about writing another one in English now with um, a friend of mine who's a uh, professor of history from the uh, Complutense University in Madrid. And the book's done okay here in Spanish. And uh, basically, we're looking at all the evidence of uparts and um, ancient artifacts that seem to be from a more advanced culture than our own, uh, which have been reported probably since the, you know, from, from the 19th century onwards, because really the whole subject of Upart started in the 19th century. Yeah. Uh, Uparts, by the way, for new listeners, are, are, is an acronym for out-of-place artifacts. That's right, yeah, coined by um, Ivan T. Sanderson, in fact. Right. Oh, yes. Yeah. One of my favorite books is Forbidden Archaeology, which is about a thousand-page book filled with Uparts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some of them are just right. totally inexplicable. Forbidden Give us an example of some of your favorites. You know, what we do, uh, the, first, the first chapter of this book, which, as, as I said, is only available in Spanish at the moment, we look into, we look at classical uparts, that is the geological ones, those that are found in pieces of uh, coal or rock, where you can find a necklace or a, a hammer, a nail, coins, this kind of thing. Unfortunately, practically all, the, all of those have disappeared over time, or they never existed, who knows. Um, but then, you know, at the beginning of the of 20th century, uh, people started collecting them again to show that possibly our ancestors were more advanced than, than we thought they were. And then, of course, these days, um, these artifacts are used by a lot of creationists for, for their own theories. I mean, to give you one case is very difficult, but, um, you know, the general idea of Uparts is that it's uh, advanced tools and things found in, in geological strata. Uh, you know, it's, it's a very interesting subject to study. But then there are, there are modern, there are modern Uparts in a sense, or more modern ones. There was this um, a, a kind of goblet, which uh, was, I think it was from the uh, 1600s or seven, yeah, 1600s, which 
has an unusual glass. Sort of the, the, the walls of this goblet are made of glass, and depending on the angle of the light, it, it can be red or green, it can look completely different. And um, now scientists have, have examined this glass and said they have no idea how it was made because it's a kind of nanotechnology. Uh, it's, it, it contains particles of, of, of glass and sand, which uh, they have no idea how it was made, but it's incredible. And I mean, there are, there's universities actually trying to build a series of, of screens, like computer screens, uh, using the, this uh, 18th century or 17th century, I think it was, technology. I mean, the, the, the whole topic of Uparts is, is massive. Yeah. Because uh, it, it just became such a popular subject back in the, the 1970s. But really, 100 years before and 150 years before, it was already quite popular. Now, this is used as ammunition by people like Eric von Daniken to claim that E.T. visited us over the years, and that's the reason for these unusual artifacts. What do you see as an explanation? Do you have any ideas why we're seeing this? Are these just anomalies or an imaginative toy? What? Well, I can tell you what, what I find. It might not be the most popular answer that you're going to get on this show, but the thing is, in the, in the 19th century, there was this uh, competition between America, that is the New World, and the Old World of Europe, to find the biggest dinosaur fossils and to say our, our ancestors were better than your ancestors and so on. In America, they, they invented the idea of the mound builders to explain how it was possible that uh, monuments and big earth structures could possibly exist in the, in the Americas if the North American Indians were so primitive and seemed so backward and so on. It couldn't have been them who made these structures. And they, they used this as, a, as an excuse, in a sense, to take the lands from them, because by saying that the current yeah, inhabitants... Yeah, you of, couldn't of, build that. Give that to us. Exactly, well, yeah. And they were saying... Well, have you read this article that came out about three days ago, where they have now officially announced that the foundational level, the actual earliest level of, of famous snake mound in the Midwest, I think in Ohio, is actually 55,000 years old. Wow, that's incredible. Now, th this is uh, big news. This just broke a couple of days ago. Of course, we're going to be broadcasting this on Sunday, so it would have been uh, the beginning of the uh, prior week here. They've now determined through carbon-14 dating of charcoal and other things, uh, organic material, that the original mound, it's been added on to and changed mm -hmm. its configuration uh, oh, a little bit, but it's 55,000 years old. That's interesting. I mean, in the in the 19th century, they came up with the, the, the theory that it had been a race uh, an advanced race who disappeared at some point, the mound builders. But, I mean, because of this competition between North America and, and Europe, uh, they were constantly trying to, to sort of better each other. And that was when in North America it became very popular to say, well, we found these uh, Egyptian tablets. Oh, we've got these uh, Sumerian, I don't know, these, um, these, these, these Sumerian seals or something like that. And the Europeans said, well, you know, we, we have our, our Greeks, our, our you know, Rome, and we have... Yeah, you know, there were Athens and all these built down men. <laughs> yeah, so with a uh, Cardiff giant in New York. <laughs> well, of course. I mean, there were all these fakes suddenly came out of nowhere. So what what, what was happening at that in in that period was that um, discovering new things in in the earth became a very fashionable pastime, and it also it also sold newspapers because in in a sense what they were doing was saying, well, uh, North America did have 
a, a golden age did have its golden age, and you know, just like just like Europe. So so don't belittle us anymore. And it was in this it was in this um, atmosphere that um, that the whole idea of uparts really started up. Uh, so at, at the time, though, when people because normally the people who wrote who wrote these articles for newspapers saying you know where Mrs. Smith's found a um, a ring, a gold ring inside a lump of coal, they weren't very aware of, of the meaning of that. They weren't really aware of the significance of finding something in a lump of coal. You know what? We- We're going to get a lump of coal from our sponsors <laughs> if we don't break. Chris Aubeck with Gene and Chris, or Gene and KK, you're in the Paracast. <laughs> for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. 1-855-905-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. Say goodbye to the cable guy and get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. Sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and there's no equipment to buy. You get free HD TV upgrade, a free DVR upgrade, and free professional and installation you control what you watch when you watch it record your favorite shows pause and rewind live tv even skip the commercials watch local channels too at just $19.99 what are you waiting for pull out your major credit or debit card call 1-855-905-MY-TV 1-855-905-MY-TV say goodbye to the cable guy cut costs and get more 1-855-905-MY-TV 1-855-905-MY-TV Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Okay, so I dropped the. Gene, you never miss a chance, man. (laughs) I never. I'm. Yeah, I don't want a lump of coal. (laughs) Well, I don't know. You can crush it with your super strength and make it into. A diamond like Superman does. Well, I'm going to ask Chris about a new book that just came out, co-authored by Hugh Newman, who's pretty well known in the uh, ancient astronaut uh, 
department. But the book is about uh, the possibility of the existence of a race or races of giants on the planet. And they go into quite a bit of information that claims the Smithsonian gobbled up uh, during the end of the 19th century, middle to end of the 19th century, early 20th century, all uh, just innocently exhumed uh, skeletons of what appear to be humanoids that are, in, in some cases, claims go up to 18 feet. Have you studied the controversy around the giants in North America, two rows of teeth, for instance, red hair, seven to nine feet tall on average? Well, uh, I haven't really studied it. I mean, okay, to be honest, when I was about 12, 13 years old, I found that really interesting. Uh, because, you know, I, I thought, well, here we have the, the, the Nephilim of the Bible and kind of thing. And I, I, I was very interested in ancient astronauts at the time. But to be honest, uh, these days, I don't pay a lot of atten- attention to, to these claims made about, um, about uh, giant remains and so on. Because once you, you, you research the, you know, the, the stories, you normally find that it would, either they, they weren't as big as they said, or they, or they never existed at all, or they were just parts of animals or, or something like that. So personally, I don't, I don't spend my time looking at giants, but I mean, I realize it's a very interesting subject. I'd love someone to, to write a very good book about it, and I would definitely buy it. Now, what percentage do you think of these stories of UFOs over the years? particularly around the late 19th century when we had the airships, were the result of people just trying to tell stories to get fame and fortune or sell newspapers or something? Well, from the 19th century onwards, it was, it was quite common because there was this massive boom in, in newspapers. Uh, many years ago, when I, when I founded uh, Magonia Exchange, uh, which as you know, exists to exchange inf- information that we find in newspapers, books, and other places, and that we just exchange it, you know, am- amongst ourselves, although it's uh, an association that anyone can join. When I started that, I wanted to see how many newspapers there were in the world that we could start researching, and hopefully they would be digitalized at some point. And I realized that in, in, in America, there were thousands of newspapers in German which still haven't been digitalized and nobody's ever heard of, but there they were, all these titles in German. Well, and what it means is that there were so many newspapers, there was so much competition throughout the 19th century that people had to find uh, new stories and exciting new ways to, to sell them. So, yes, real UFOs were seen. Uh, strange things definitely did happen, but they didn't wait around for those things to happen. They'd uh, invent stories constantly. I mean, if you look at UFOs, I mean, people, are, people will say, oh, that's terrible, you can't, you can't say that about, about UFOs and so on because we know that there, there really were lots of them. And I say, yeah, okay, but think about other, other topics. I mean, meteorites. Um, meteorites uh, don't fall that, I mean, meteorites fall very often. They normally become meteoric dust on the way down or they fall into the sea. But if you take uh, 19th century, the 19th century press as a whole, it seems like a meteorite was, was killing a cow or, or a mother-in-law or, or, or splitting a statue into every other week which is completely impossible. And it's because they knew that meteorite stories sold. So every small town had its meteorite story, but not just one. They had a new one every single week. So, yeah, obviously, a lot of that information uh, is untrue. But 
On the other hand, the only way that we can ever get to authentic cases is by studying it, by yeah. examining Wading it. Wading really through carefully. the dross. <laughs> exactly. And that is exactly what we wanted to do, to do in Return to Magonia, because it was time to analyze the best cases that we can find. So that's why, you know, we've put 21 cases together. Um, each one stands on its own individually as an interesting case study. Yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're confident that a lot of these are anomalous and um, should be taken more seriously. In the future, we will we'll definitely um, bring out an, an, another one with, with, with the rest of the cases that we've looked at. Son yeah. of Return to Magonia. Exactly. Yeah, I was thinking about the return of the return to... I don't know how, how we'll call it yet. Well, nowadays, but, they just use a numeric symbol, so it would be Return yes. to Magonia 2. two. Or 2.0 or, or something like that. I mean, now we're, we're also uh, developing Wonders in the Sky 2.0. We are we are working on updating that catalog too, and getting rid of, you know, uh, mistakes, adding adding new cases, and just polishing it. And then also, uh, Martin and I have a new project which we're very excited about, which will be to what we're doing. We are analysing every single case in every Charles Fort book published to date. That's that a is huge something that's going to be, Oh, it's it's massive. It's 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 very big. Fortunately, I'm unemployed currently, voluntarily during a year, so I'm I have plenty of free time to do it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to because it's it's a seriously large undertaking, as you say. And well, it's that's, very that's you know? a, a testament to your. How would I put this? Uh, Fort to me was the granddaddy of all modern paranormal research in terms of the amount of years that he spent in uh, New York libraries and newspaper archives combing through and pulling out the most incredible stuff. Uh, some of the most influential books in my library were written by uh, Charles Fort. And it's, I'm, I'm, I'm just so gratified that someone is finally tackling <laughs> the monolith. <laughs> just to get through the, 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 the writing, the prose uh, is, is a chore. If I tried to read that stuff when I was a teenager, because they had the books of Charles Fort where they collect all the works in a single thick volume. Right. The collected works of Charles Ford. Right. Now, the other thing, of course, that concerned me there is he's going to the library and he's collecting stories. He's not really investigating anything. He's collecting stories. Well, that, that's what Chris is going to do. He's, of course. He's going to say, course. okay, well, let's look at these. Exactly. And that's the point because you wonder how many of these stories, especially newspaper articles, were written just to sell papers. But parenthetically, before we go on, when you were talking about that, especially during the 19th century, you have these editors who basically make up stories just to sell papers. And I wonder how many people believe them. But I wonder how much of that is still going on with cable news, whether cable news, <laughs> particularly here in the United States, how many times do they take real stories, gin them up to make them sound more sensational, take words out of context and do 10 days of stories about it, you know, where they may Gene, have a real event the opposite when don't they do that that might be a bigger question yeah take a single phrase from somebody and create an entire universe about that and our entire political dialogue is very much based on Phil, a lot Phil of faked stories and franken quotes oh yes franken quotes you didn't build that <laughs> Well, I'd, I'd like to, uh, to hear about some more cases in the book because uh, some of these are just the amount of documentation. It, it's just 
to be able to dig this kind of stuff up about cases that are hundreds of years old is is quite a testament to to your um, focus, concentration, and uh, just perseverance. Because the amount of work it takes to pull this kind of documentation out of history is is immense, especially when it has to do with subjects uh, as controversial as things seen in the sky before there was flight uh, in many cases. So some of the other cases in here are quite intriguing. Uh, Why don't you uh, give us a thumbnail sketch of several of them? Uh, Okay, well, um, I mentioned that in Chapter 4, we talk about this uh, fireball that goes over the water and attacks a ship. Um, In Chapter 5, I was going to go through the book a little bit and tell you you know, about a few cases we have in here. In in Chapter 5, we look at the concept of flying saucers, that is, uh, disc-shaped objects in the sky. So we take a story from Staffordshire in England uh, in 1759, which is about these four coins or discs that danced across the sky for 30 seconds. Let's and look at the, the discs object. and let's see what they mean yeah. and more well, with Chris Arbeck joining... Gene and KK, you're in the Paracast. Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting and their screaming fast Swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition. Ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors, head on over to a2hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two, a2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24 7 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code GENE when you check out. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you, people seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more, and this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com, ParanormalDate.com, and use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. So you've got to take a state construction license exam or certification. Can't decide on what books or what chapters to study? Discover right now how you can eliminate unnecessary books and wasted study time. At ContractorExam.com, our study materials zero in on state-required test topics in an effective, multiple-choice format. So whether you're a plumber, electrician, general contractor, or other construction-related trade, ContractorExam.com will help get you prepared. Visit us at www.ContractorExam.com today. 
Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. 1-855-905-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. Say goodbye to the cable guy. And get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. Sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and there's no equipment to buy. You get free HD TV upgrade, a free DVR upgrade, and free professional and installation you control what you watch when you watch it record your favorite shows pause and rewind live tv even skip the commercials watch local channels too at just $19.99 what are you waiting for pull out your major credit or debit card call 1-855-905-MY-TV 1-855-905-MY-TV say goodbye to the cable guy cut costs and get more 1-855-905-MY-TV 1-855-905-MY-TV Paid non-attorney spokesperson, Adam Pulaski of the Pulaski Law Firm with Principal Office in Houston, Texas, is the attorney responsible for the content of this ad. This ad is not legal advice, and the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely upon advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Attention Zarelto users. If you or a loved one took Zarelto and suffered a serious bleeding event, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Zarelto is a popular prescription blood thinner used to prevent blood clots and protect patients from strokes. These serious bleeding events have led to numerous cases of hospitalization and even death. Phone lines are open 24-7. Call 800-261-0937. That's 800-261-0937. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. You give a lot of class to our silly stinger. Okay, so you were talking here about the four coins, and I thought when you said that three coins in the fountain, a song from the <laughs> 1950s. Don't right. ask me why. I think I'm getting too old for this, but go ahead. Well, this is about these four coins or, or discs. I mean, he, he compares them to coins that, uh, that, that danced across the sky for 30 seconds. And in the book, we ask whether these were fireballs. But in the end, we realize this explanation doesn't really fit. And it's also interesting that four dancing discs is so similar to what Kenneth Arnold said he saw in 1947, which he described as nine flat objects skipping. You know, so we, we, we go into this subject a little bit. Then after that, uh, we talk about the, in, in chapter seven, about the moon you know, the, the, the story about the moon that, that divides and these humanoids uh, float out. And it's great because if you, if you look at the book, I mean, it's, it's full of literally hundreds of photos and footnotes, of course, too. So um, one of the reasons that we're not available in Kindle at the moment is, is because it's just so full of photos. And there's um, a 20 megabyte limit on the, the size of a, of a book that you can publish through Kindle. And this is 40 megabytes as a file. So as I said, it's got a lot of maps, a lot of illustrations. So it's definitely not a boring book in that sense. Then, then in uh, chapter eight, well, this is a, a very odd and fascinating account about a fiery phenomenon that descended from the sky in Somerset in England on December the 8th, 1831. And the descriptions that people gave were all uh, a bit different. So one said it was like a clock face. Another said it was like a kettle. Uh, someone even said it had human legs or at least appendages. The object emitted light, heat, and sound. 
Some said it was man, a man-shaped fireball, like the ones that, that I'm collecting at the moment. And it scorched the grass, and then it, it ascended again. And it is interesting because we know all the locations that this object went through, and we can plot those on a map, but we don't know what time of day each one was seen, so we can't really plot the path it took. So, you know, that, that's an interesting case. After that, we look into uh, a story that we also publish in um, On Wonders in the Sky. This was about these uh, three luminous objects that burst out of the water on June the 18th, 1845. They come out from the, the Sea of Sicily, and they remain in view for about 10 minutes on, uh, you know, in front of all these witnesses who are on a brig called, called the Victoria. After that, uh, in Chapter 10, we talk about triangles, because this is another, another subject that, that we find very interesting, the idea of, of seeing a triangle in the sky, whether it's made of cloud or, or light or something, because a triangle is really a art, very artificial-looking looking thing. And we have a, a story from 1852 in which a Coast Guard, a, a Coast Guard called Francis Seymour at Dover in England, witnesses a, a dense triangular cloud that seems to grow and grow in the sky. And then in the centre, he can see a, a kind of fireball that's, that's flashing towards him. So we, we look at this case and, you know, so on and so on. I mean, the, the, the case after that is uh, from Australia, a place called Morpeth. In November 1862, uh, a guy called Osman Middleton hears a, a rushing noise in the sky and he looks up and he sees this dark object that seems to be rotating. And he calls it a meteor, but it, it can't really be a meteor because meteors never look black. Otherwise, we'd never be able to see them at, at night, except when they get right at the end of, their, of their, their fall through the sky. But then they pass far too quickly to see if they're rotating and, and so on. So we, we look at that, at that um, case and then we reach a case that I find very interesting from 1873. Um, I suppose you've read about this one, about the, this object that comes from the sky carrying a, a pilot who exits, ex, who exits the vehicle in, in Ohio. It's, it, it's, it's good because um, it's one of the earliest, earliest stories that we found of an object from the sky uh, that has a pilot or at least there's someone inside it. And there are these two farmers that, uh, that see it land. They, they approach it. It's, it's quite late at night in, the, in, some, in, a, in a rural road in Ohio. And suddenly this guy comes out. I mean, this was a, a thing that was luminous or at least fiery in the sky. It lands. This guy comes out uh, dressed in black. And he gets into a, a buggy, like a car, and it doesn't have wheels, there are no horses, and it just drives off and it disappears uh, down the road and, and into a gully. And uh, this case is interesting. Is it actually touching the ground or floating above it? It doesn't say it's floating. It, it doesn't say it's touching the ground either. I, I would imagine that if it was a big, heavy object, they would have mentioned that it was loud, you know, and scraping against the ground. And um, he had arrived in a flying object, so I suppose you could say that um, he had. I mean, supposing this is all real, he would have. He would have had the technology to to have created a a flying car, I suppose. Last uh, last, last October, 
I was I was at this place. It's just outside uh, Zanesville in Ohio. I, I went there with Kay Massingill, who found uh, this story um, a few years ago now. And yeah, we've researched it to death. I mean, we I went up and down these roads with with Kay um, in her car, and we had a great time. Uh, stopping and looking for the for the gully, for the right road, the houses. I mean, using all the uh, geological records, all the census material, you can find not only the names of the of the witnesses. You can you can often find their photograph, uh, the day they were born, died. We we plotted all of this onto onto a map. I could find the uh, I found the the neighbors of this guy. I mean, he was a, a poor farmer. Or uh, uh, or just a, a simple worker, but so his his name doesn't appear on any of the land ownership maps, but his neighbours do. So we plotted the route where the where the census taker would have would have walked from house to house, and we we could work out where he lived. So therefore, the distance that he would have travelled, because he was coming from um, from Taylorsville, which was which is now called Philo, where we went to, of course. And so we could work out approximately how far he would have travelled at what time of day and so on. I mean, these, these are just approximations, but it was fascinating to be in the in the very place that this would have happened. And, you know, I mean, this, this is a case which, um, as I said, it's uh, chapter 12 of our book. And it's interesting, even if, it were, if, it, if it's not true, uh, there's no way to know, you know, at this point in time, that whether these cases are all 100% true or not, particularly if, they, if they're reported by, by farmers or, or just simple workers. But at least it's like the first time in, in UFO history when someone sees a man in black, comes out of a spaceship, gets into a car. There were no cars in 1873. Uh, you know, it's, um, that's why we, we just find this so interesting. We've got Chris Aubeck, co-author of Return to Magonia, investigating UFOs in history. All right. And we're just getting started, but then we only have a few segments left for the show. So we'll cover as much ground as we can with Gene and KK. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. There are hundreds of silver products on the market today, but there's nothing like the astonishing health benefits of the multi-patented One Silver Solution. Boost your immune system at a great price with our Silver Solution Liquid, starting at $12.95 a bottle, now available in regular and extra strength. That's half the price of the leading competitors. Call 844-USILVER for your free catalog or go to OneSilverSolution.com. OneSilverSolution.com. There is only one Silver Solution. Hey, Berkey Guy here. Are you still drinking unfiltered tap water? Does your water contain chlorine or fluoride? Will you have drinkable water in an emergency? The Berkey Guy is here to help you remove these and other potential contaminants from your water, thus helping you drink clean, purified water. We offer Berkey water purification systems at the lowest available prices online. Don't go another moment without Berkey System. Over the last 10 years, we've helped thousands drink clean, purified water. Join them by visiting GoBerkey.com or call me, the Berkey Guy, at 877-886-3653. That's 877-886-3653. 
Your house is under attack. Every day, our homes and families are attacked by harmful gases, mold, and pollutants caused by everyday activities. According to the EPA, indoor air can be 5 to 100 times worse than outdoor air. And the American Lung Association states that poor indoor air can cause infections and chronic lung diseases such as asthma. Protect your family with a complete indoor air quality package from Wave Home Solutions. Wave ventilation units for basements and crawl spaces reduce moisture that nourishes mold, odors, dust mites, and expels gases and pollutants. Add the Wave 6 stage air purifier to get rid of the viruses, chemicals, and pollutants upstairs for a complete indoor air quality solution. A healthy home is the best investment you can make. Visit wavehomesolutions.com. That's wavehomesolutions.com. Or call 888-758-WAVE. That's 888-758-WAVE. Wave Home Solutions for a healthy, comfortable home. A lot of people's lives and bodies are out of balance. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops optimize pH level and get rid of harmful waste and acid. Just a few drops in water restores vibrance and energy and gets you back in balance. Now order two bottles and get $10 off your order. Sign up for monthly auto shipping and save 25%. Call 800-518-7615 or visit alkavision.com. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at alkavision.com. Thousands of people seeking home security get ripped off every day. And the home security industry wants you to believe that's your only option. They've got hordes of salesmen out there trying to scare you into signing one of their long-term contracts. You get stuck writing huge checks month after month with no way out. It's robbery by contract, and it can cost you thousands. But there's a better way to protect your home. Simply Safe Home Security. Simply Safe has no contracts. None. You'll get award-winning 24-7 protection. Security professionals watching over your home, ready to instantly send police to the rescue for just $14.99 per month. That's less than half what most companies charge. Protect your home the smart way. Visit simplysafedefense.com today for an exclusive 10% offer and get a free keychain remote worth $25. Only when you go to simplysafedefense.com. Simplysafedefense.com. With a new year coming, it's time for a new way to look at weapon storage. Safes can't be accessed quickly and racks are unsafe for children. Covert cabinets are the next level in home defense. They fit seamlessly into any home's decor and they provide quick access to firearms while keeping them uniquely hidden. Covert cabinets, the ideal hidden storage solution. Custom made in the USA. Covert cabinets are an elegant and practical alternative to the bulky and obvious storage systems of the past. Find out more at covertcabinets.com. That's covertcabinets.com. Hey, this is Marie D. Jones, the author of This Book is from the Future, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. We continue our final two segments with Chris Aubeck, the co-author of Return to Magonia, Investigating UFOs in History. Let me just drop a quick question here. Looking over the cases you have in this book, the ones you have for your next book, when you remove the cultural influences, can you provide at this point a distinct picture of what's being seen or does it vary too much? 
It certainly varies, but I mean, we look for patterns in the information. The thing is, we we consider it's a little bit too premature to reach a conclusion. I mean, I know a lot of people who write about UFOs, who research this topic, reach uh, conclusions very easily. They'll they'll say they're blood-sucking vampires from Venus, or people who want to make hybrid children with us, or no intelligences from another dimension, or time travelers, and so on and so on. We we think it's just a little bit too too soon to reach any any conclusions in that sense. I mean, we we have reached a series of of, of conclusions, but we're not trying to sell a theory. If you see what I mean, you know, there's um, our conclusions a little bit different. I mean, firstly, we, we we say that UFO phenomena, as described by human witnesses, have remained very similar over time. So that's that. It's very important. Our, our ancestors. Curiosity was aroused by the same variety of stimuli in the sky as our own. So they saw triangular or spherical or discoidal objects. So it's that. It's that evolution of a, of a theme. Our second conclusion is that very old testimonies should not be rejected out of hand because they can be analysed very carefully and using modern resources. The problem is a lot of UFO researchers don't take the time to learn how to use these resources. Uh, that's a, a change that, that we hope will happen in the future. But whatever, whatever we find, um, and this is our, our third conclusion, really, I mean, we, we, we think that the UFO phenomenon deserves serious attention, and we can't promote it as a body of evidence with a single unifying explanation. We're not saying that these are psychic powers or manifestations of the dead or aliens or anything like that. We can approach this very seriously. We can approach this scientifically. You know, I mean, a lot of people spend a lot of time and money on researching this subject. I think that it deserves to be studied properly. As I said, if anyone wants to join my research organization, Magonia Exchange, they're, they're welcome to because we find some amazing things. I mean, I think so far we've found 36,000 items or something wow. like that. Um, I wow, that's an in- impressive number. You know who should become part of the association and help defray the costs and maybe hire additional research help is Yerny Milner. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's throwing a lot of money after uh, going after a private steady project, I guess, for lack of a better definition, I think a well-rounded approach would include funding uh, academic efforts such as yours. Uh, I think this could provide invaluable insight into the modern aspect of the mystery that has forgotten its past. I think some of the most illuminating uh, potential data could inadvertently fall out of one of these cases. And I really, really, Chris, I applaud your efforts. I applaud the efforts of Jacques Vallée, who really kind of got this whole <laughs> Magonia boat going back in 69 with with his his seminal work. You know, again, I think this is it's just tremendous uh, what you're doing. And I hope that, um, you know, you are talking to a very up-to-speed audience here um, at the Paracast. We have a lot of very bright people, engineers, doctors, uh, professionals, aerospace folks, uh, etc., and I would really hope that uh, some people would at least show their their support, sign up to the association, and possibly send some sort of documentation of a case that you know the the Magonia project doesn't have. So, 
onwards and upwards uh, with the effort. I think it's important. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we can it's, only it's we can only go forward in the future by understanding and, and accepting uh, the implications of our past. And and I, I think yeah, this yeah. is an aspect in this field that has sorely, sorely been neglected. Yeah, I completely agree. And you know, all of the resources that we use these. Uh, these archives of newspapers and so on, they're, they're searchable. It's like Google. You just go in there, you put a few keywords in, and it's amazing what you get back. I challenge anyone to spend half an hour searching in one of these newspaper archives without finding a UFO case, a new one. There's just so much of it. you know. And then we have these excellent people to, to give advice about what we find. You know, Martin Schoff, my, my co-author of Return to Magonia, is amazing. In, the, in this way, he's been a, a massive influence over my own approach to all of this. Right. Then we have amazing researchers like uh, Kay Massingill from Mississippi. She's, uh, she's contributed so many new cases. I mean, it's become part of her life now. So I open my computer in the morning and I, I see 13 new, new interesting stories. I mean, wow. not just about UFOs, just 14. I'm jealous. In general. <laughs> you know, and you know anyone can join. It's completely free. It's easy to do, and um, it's healthy and fun. Better than smoking. <laughs> well, it depends on what you smoke. Yeah, that's true. Smoke us. All right. Okay, we're getting to the end of the show, so I want to just cover a few things here and, and go on. Looking at over these cases, it's kind of set up at the beginning of your book that. The ET theory is too simplistic, doesn't account for all the variables. But is there any possibility at all that at the end of the day, we're going to look at all the cases and they do indicate that extraterrestrials did visit us and that's what these events are? Yeah, yeah, why not? I'm, I'm happy to, to admit that. If I find anything like that, I will say it. I will shout it from the rooftops. Um, you know, I admit that I saw a UFO myself in, in 1996 uh, it's not. I'm not at all denying that it's possible to see objects that we cannot identify. I don't care, as I said, if they turn out to be um, uh, Venusians here on holiday or completely imaginary or whatever. It doesn't make any difference to me at all because um, that's not what I study. I, I get off on the, on the fact that it's the evolution of a cultural theme. These are motifs like in folklore, but that doesn't mean that none of it's true. Sure. If, if anything um, is found by any of us uh, that indicates um, extraterrestrialism, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to, um, to, to acknowledge it. I think it would be a, a great discovery. You know, who knows? You, know, well, you, our, 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 you our just coined a new word. Uh, yeah, I realize that. I'm sorry. Extraterrestrialism. I love it. Well, you know what? That word was You better actually, trademark that real quick. You I'm can't. Use it. It was, Chris, oh. it was already done. Oh, Extraterrestrialism was coined by the late Yona Fortna, who wrote okay, for Saucer flying, flying News. Flying saucerism. How's that? Yeah. Huh? Flying saucerism? Can I? Flying can saucerism. I make it. Extraterrestrialism was coined by the late Yona Fortna back in the late 50s. As he wrote a series of articles for Saucer News called Extraterrestrialism as an Historical Doctrine. And he maintained that the God of the Old Testament was E.T. That was his theory. Before you even had Von Daniken, he was plying that road. Wow. Well, did he trademark it? Yona? Nah. <laughs> Never mind. He boasted Yona was a character and a half. If I can find a recording of him on radio, I think it would be fun to play it here if we can get the rights for it. Well, Yona, if anybody can find it, I bet you Chris could. 
Right. Or actually, I might ask Bob Zanotti, our staff announcer, yeah. who had a show called Coffee Clutch back in the 60s. And I wonder if Yona wasn't on there. It would be real, real fun to present him. He was a wacky guy. He claimed to speak dozens of languages, including Sanskrit. He even claimed to me in a letter written to me, I guess in the 90s before he died, that in a very loose way, the character of Yoda... Oh, yeah, was modeled after him, right? Yes. <laughs> I don't know what whether we can believe that. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think. Chris Abeck, uh, comic book character. Uh, who was your favorite comic book character when you were growing up, and has it morphed into a new favorite? Well, let's have that answer in our next well, segment. Uh, we have to have the answer in our next segment. Okay. Let's have a cliffhanger, folks, because comics have cliffhangers. With Chris Abeck, Gene, and KK for the final segment, you're in the Paracast. <laughs> for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com We use mobile devices right against our bodies every day. But growing scientific evidence has emerged showing serious health risks associated with exposure to EMF radiation emitted from these devices. The solution is Defender Shield, the most effective mobile radiation shielding ever developed. Defender Shield blocks virtually 100% of EMF radiation from cell phones, tablets, and laptops and starts at just $64.99. Buy now at DefenderShield.com. For 10% off, use promo code GCN. DefenderShield.com, the worldwide leader in mobile radiation shielding. I want to be able to smoke inside, cut down on cigarettes, jog without wheezing, be kissable, and save money. Then you want the SIG e-cigarettes. Get the highest quality, best-tasting vaping experience on the market with unmatched customer service from LeSig. And right now, gobble up this deal. Buy $30 worth of any products and get a starter kit for only $5. Use code SK at checkout. But hurry, offer good only until Thanksgiving at LeSig.com. L-E-C-I-G.com. Kick some ash with LeSig. Owe $10,000 or more to the IRS? Get on board with the tax admiral. Don't pick on the IRS alone. I'll cut penalties and reduce your overall tax bill. Sometimes I can even get it zeroed out completely. We're an A-rated company helping people clean up their mess with the IRS. If you owe $10,000 or more, then call the tax admiral. Call 800-287-7180. Again, that's 800-287-7180. 800-287-7180. Are you tired of commuting to a job that makes someone else rich, working harder than ever, but getting nowhere? 
Do you hate spending hundreds of dollars every week on daycare, having someone else raise your children? With our opportunities, you can start earning money as soon as next week. You get to be the boss, work from home, and live a happier life. At Be The Boss Network, you'll find hundreds of work-from-home opportunities that you can literally start today and be earning money as soon as next week. Go to freedom106.com and start earning money as soon as next week. You get to be the boss. Get out of the rat race. Work from home. Go to freedom106.com right now and change your life today. That's freedom, the number 106.com. Go to freedom106.com and start earning money as soon as next week. You be the boss. Go to freedom106.com. This is Dan Pilla. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you? I've defended people from the IRS for over 30 years. I've helped thousands and I can help you too. I wrote the book on IRS settlement and I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a hopeless case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX to finally get free of IRS debt. With the IRS's new programs, there's never been a better time to solve your problem. Call 800-34-NO-TAX. That's 800-34-NO-TAX or my website, danpilla.com. Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're listening to The Paracast. So Chris Aubeck has asked the pop culture question, your favorite comic book? Well, until my rat ate all my comic books when I was 15, uh, I read The Avengers. I read The Avengers uh, quite a lot. And, you know, I, I don't think I identified with any of them. But, um, you know, fortunately, my rat didn't eat my, my copy of Avengers number two. Um, oh, that's worse I think though. 1963. Yeah, uh, a guy called... Joe French at school stole it from me, so I lost it anyway. So I can't really answer that question because it's such a sore point. I would say Silver Surfer, um, that his surfboard has time-traveling capabilities. (laughs) I could do with that. Gene, on the other hand, I don't know. That that would be tough. Maybe, uh, well, I can't say the Scarecrow and the Wizard of Oz. Uh, That would would be unfair. um, the stretch. There we go. My comic book requirements were more traditional. Things like Superman, Batman, Spider-Man. Oh, okay. Something with a man on it. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I ever read Supergirl. I knew one of the co-creators, as our listeners know, Otto Bender, but I don't know that I ever read any of the comics. No, you, I, I, I don't see you in a, a Supergirl outfit. You know, you know who mine is? Well, I never wore an outfit. I always looked at superheroes as something external. Okay, you're not going to guess which one's mine. Let's move on with the show. No, no, no. I want you to answer. I don't even know his name. He was Torok, Son of Stone's sidekick in the Gold Key, Golden Key, uh, Torok, Son of Stone comics. I liked him because he was always like, he was like the trickster. He he wasn't quite fully aware of what was going on, but he always inadvertently did the right thing. So I, I identify with that. Okay. So therefore, you would therefore be Tonto to the Lone Ranger. Well, I already am, actually. Uh, Clifford Mahuti is Kimosabi. I'm Tonto. Uh, no, I would be Torox Tonto um, in Pelucitter, uh the Inner Earth. And... Uh, I would be running from dinosaurs, which I feel like I am in ufology. 
I'm, I'm always running from dinosaurs and then poking them in the, in the legs and, and poking them in the, in the rear end to try to get them to wake up and uh, smell the um, cold coffee. Now, I keep wondering here, while you keep bringing up rear ends, you were doing this when we were having our discussions about oh, UFO we abductions. Go. Well, it, it's one thing to poke a rear end. It's another thing to poke it with a spear, okay, dude? So, you know, when you're being chased by a stegosaurus, you got to come up with some. Well, actually, I wouldn't poke a stegosaurus in the rear end. I get smacked by that tail. Um, well, whatever. I, you know, it, you always got to stay behind them. If you stay in front, you're in trouble. Just set the phaser to kill. No, no, no. I'm an Indian in, in the, you know, inner earth. Right. Chris, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here, listening, fascinated. <laughs> now, let me ask you an interesting question here. Since we covered a few things at the edges here, in your research into all these old cases, did you find stuff that relates at all to what we consider UFO abductions now? Oh yeah, constantly. There's um, uh, although we don't we don't include any of those cases in the book because we're looking at uh, UFOs, but we uh, I have found a lot of cases which indicate uh, UFO abductions. I mean, you go back to old texts on uh, demonology, uh, the Malleus Maleficarum, for example. Although it's true that there's um, there's a new translation of, of that book which I'd yeah. like to read, and then may, maybe I'll find some some differences with the old one. But then um, there's a mystic called uh, Jane Led, who uh, who was um, born in uh, towards the end of the 16th century, I believe. Oh no, but in the start of the of the 17th, and um, she had experiences which she called uh, transports or transportations. She found herself taken off to uh, a star at one point in the sky, and um, there's a lot of things about babies and and so on. And uh, she had. She wrote about her own UFO sightings. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of it. And then um, I'm also preparing at the moment a, a book about um, about this kind of topic, including teleportations, um, to be published in again in Spanish uh, uh, next year. And I'm looking at these old cases, uh, you know, old texts, and, you know, including new ones too. But um, very interested in in how. It seems that, there, again, there's this continuation of a theme over time, uh, whether it's abductions or teleportations or some kind of um, encounters with the unknown. Now, do you think this unknown represents an external reality that interacts with us, or is it something that we all kind of imagine? I'd, I'd like to think it exists. Um, I mean, I think we've all had in our own lives uh, experiences which we m might even call paranormal, uh, which feel paranormal at least. I mean, you could look at um, about how, how that works statistically and probably discover that it wasn't as strange as, as you thought. But, you know, I, I would like to think that there's, that there's more to this life. Than, than we can actually see. But of course, it's also, a, it's also the human condition to have that feeling. So I can't even trust my own, my own judgment in that case. Yeah, good answer. Um, also, you could extrapolate that to the next level and you know, blow the dust off your Carl Jung books and say, perhaps it's a collective manifestation of phenomena that has some underlying sort of primordial, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, an archetypal agenda. 
Yeah, it would be nice. I, you know, I mean, um, I sometimes speak to uh, professionals like psychologists and so on who are still, um, you know, uh, reading Carl Jung and uh, they even get into Rupert Sheldrake and, and so on. Yeah, it, it would be very nice to think that um, there is another realm beyond our own. There is another plane of existence or at least a dimension to our our own um, our own human experience, which we access perhaps through the mind, or maybe manifests occasionally in our own reality. Well, you're you're is, missing the operative word here, which is collective. I yes, mean, of course. It, it, you know, the individual may be a nodal point or or some sort of uh, you know window or doorway to a collective uh, environment that's being created, unbeknownst to us consciously as individuals, uh, but certain individuals may unwittingly or by design stumble into Magonia and uh, be asked if they'd like to have something to eat. And, uh, <laughs> of course, as we all know, if the the the, the folk ever pick you up and uh, take whisk you away and offer you something to eat or drink, say no. That's true, <laughs> That's true yeah. You know, but I, I always think that, I mean, I, I prefer to be guided by, by evidence. And uh, at this point in my life, I can say I haven't found enough evidence to support the idea that there is that um, extra dim dimension to human existence. But who knows? You know, I mean, um, I've only been around for 44 years. We'll see what happens the next 44 that can change my mind. Oh, you're young. You're young. Yeah. Hey, He's a whippersnapper. Yeah, I'm going to snap the whip right now because we're running out of time. Chris Aubeck, tell our listeners where they can find more information about the stuff that you do. Okay, well, um, first, my book with Martin Schoff, they can find that on Amazon. Um, at the moment, there's some glitch on Amazon. It says that it's, it's out of stock. Uh, apparently, it's not actually out of stock. When you order it, you receive it quite promptly. But anyway, that's, that's just a, a glitch, apparently. Um, or they can find it on the uh, anomalist.com website. Then my research group, Magonia Exchange, or Magoniacs, maybe you can call us Mag Magoniacs. Um, it's, uh, you can find this practically anywhere on Google. I mean, you can just put this into Google, but it's a Yahoo group. And people can also contact me through Facebook. I mean, there are, there are ways to find me. I can give you the, the telephone number of the cafe where I normally go. Let's not and say we did. You can find us on Twitter, by the way. Look for the Paracast on Twitter. Look for the Paracast fan club on Facebook. You'll find two of them. And we won't give one up. Chris O'Brien's site is OurStrangePlanet.com. What else could it be? Check out Paracast Plus at plus.theparacast.com, P-L-U-S dot theparacast.com. Learn about getting the ad-free version of this show, the exclusive After the Paracast podcast. We're adding show transcripts, videos, a lot more for a modest monthly, annual, five-year, or lifetime subscription with free e-books for long-term subscriptions. Learn more. Learn how it's done. Plus.theparacast.com plus.theparacast.com Chris Aubeck, thanks for joining us on the Paracast. Thank you very much for having me. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. 
tune in next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.